something curious about this broadcast. T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, and we have main engine start. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and liftoff. This is TGP nominal. Commence episode now. All systems remain nominal. 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 Hello everybody and welcome to TGP Nominal, your monthly look at all things science fact and science fiction. Now you join us this evening for uh, a special episode, but before we we go any further, I I need to uh, fade up my uh, partner in crime, John Berger, or should I call you Uncle Travelling Matt? Oh my God, did you just make a Fraggle Rock reference? Oh yeah. (laughs) Wow, that... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Took me a little while there. It's traveling. I know that. I know that. Down at Fraggle Rock. Well done, sir. <laughs> Actually, what reminded me of that, I've, uh, I don't know if you remember uh, the British TV show called Top of the Pops, which uh, oh, yeah. finished a little while ago, but they're repeating all the old ones on BBC Four, and they've got as far as 1984. And uh, at num- number 37... In February of 1984 was the theme tune to Fraggle Rock. I kid you not, it was in the UK charts. You guys are weird. (laughs) When it comes to music, (laughs) we we like our novelty songs. (laughs) Oh, no kidding. Like that one about living in a cardboard box? Oh, living in a box. Oh, my God. By living in a box. Yeah. (laughs) I heard that on Star Radio one night, and I'm just like, what is this dreck? And it's just like, this was actually a one-hit wonder. In, I'm so glad that didn't come over to the States. I think it got to number one, actually. I think it did. Not yeah. over here, thankfully. Yeah, yeah. I think that it got to number one. So, so 80s and so awful. <laughs> yeah, living in a box by living in a box. Oh, yep. wow. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> no, anyone, anyone who has not heard of that song, don't. Don't. Just trust me. Don't. You know I'm going to have to look it up now and see if there's a video for it and see if I can put it in the show notes. I don't know if there's a video. I'm just, just telling my fellow Yankees and, and so forth, don't look it up. Believe me, if you do, it, it's all on you, buddy. I think they did have a couple of other tracks in the UK, but um, yeah, that's the one they're most famous for. Oh, God, so awful. So, yeah, the reason for Uncle Traveling, Matt, is you have been doing some traveling lately. I've been doing lots of traveling lately, and it's awesome it was one of the most awesome weeks i have ever had did i say it was awesome because it was awesome <laughs> if you said anything you know? to go anything to go by on the last show i i do recall you you said that was so cool about 10 times uh, i know I, I do i do that <laughs> and sometimes i'll even catch myself on it's like uh, not again <laughs> but you know oh well Sometimes, sometimes when that's the only thing that describes it, then you just got to go with it. Yeah, yeah, you're right there. So tell us about your, your, your travels. Okay, well, it originally started as simply going up to Tenocon, which is a uh, one-day convention for the video game called Warframe. And the developers are up in London, Ontario. So I thought, ah, you know, I play the game. Uh, I've been playing it for four years. According to Steam, I've got over a thousand hours on it, but according to their servers, I've got about six hundred and eighty hours into it. Wow! So yeah, I, I play a lot of it. I figured, ah, what the hell? Why not go on up? It's cheap. You know, it wasn't too bad. Even their most basic ticket was only like thirty dollars Canadian. I took the next one up, uh, which gave some other benefits. If you know, for hardcore Warframe players, and I was like, okay, you know what? It, it just—that's what it started with. 
So I got my passport and all that. What it ended up being, I went up to stay with some cousins up in New York, headed over to Niagara Falls, went over to Tenocon. That was interesting in and of itself, just because I decided I've, I've got some Facebook friends in Ottawa. And I said, OK, I'm going to go full Canadian now, just partially to have fun with it. So my very first meal in Canada was a Tim Hortons meal. That's something big over there. Mm-hmm. And I actually had some poutine. But now, if you have no idea what that is... For some reason, Canadians absolutely go nuts over this. It is nothing more than French fries in gravy with cheese curds. But you know what? It was actually pretty darn good. We have chips and gravy, and we have cheesy chips, but we never mix the two together. <laughs> yeah. It was actually it was actually pretty good. And apparently, the one spot that I found is a little hole in the wall. If you weren't looking for it, you wouldn't have seen it. But apparently, it's like a national... I don't want to say chain... But consider they're, they're well regarded, and they do have stores in in multiple areas. Apparently, it was that was a good find for me, and I even went in. I went right up to the counter, and uh, she asked me what I wanted, and they, there's a whole bunch of stuff that they add on to it. Like they've got various chicken flavors that you can add to it. You know, and actual not flavors, but actual like buffalo chicken. You can add buffalo chicken to it and stuff like that. All right. And I was looking at, it, I was like, well. I told her flat out, I'm making a promise to a friend of mine. I'm going to break my poutine virginity. What do you recommend? And she just said, well, if you're going to start off, let's just start off with the traditional and go from there. Okay, works for me. The servings that at least this place had, my caloric intake for the day was shot. (laughs) And I just got a regular size. or mm, I might have gotten the medium. And it's just starch, 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 and some protein from the cheese. But otherwise, <laughs> this thing is not healthy for you. You know, it's it's French fries soaked in gravy with cheese curds scattered all around. And it's actually pretty darn good. It sounds actually. I was pleasantly surprised. But for whatever reason, poutine is a big thing in Canada. You know, it's it's just something you don't mess with. Is that, is that come from some French word? I would assume. Word, I don't know. No, uh, I don't recognize it, actually. Poutine, P-O-U-T-I-N-E. Maybe it's French influence somewhere. So, went to Tenocon. That was fun. It's actually kind of cool because I was in line to get autographs for the guy who did the soundtrack to it because they just released the soundtrack on two vinyl records, which, needless to say, I got. Mm-hmm. And I brought it up with me to get it autographed by the composer. And the two guys in front of me, we started chatting it up. And it turns out they currently live five blocks away from where I grew up. Wow. You figure, so that's northeastern Pennsylvania. And you figure, it, it, the fact that we were that, the fact that we were at Tenocon isn't necessarily, you know, a big surprise. Although, in a way, it was. But then for us to happen to be in line at the same time and chatting it up, only to realize that they live in roughly the same area where I grew up. That was weird. Does it get to the kind of point where they don't believe you for a start, and then you sort of mention in a few places, and they're like, oh, maybe he knows these places, yeah. Yep, yeah, pretty much, because I mentioned the street where I lived, and you know the, the, street, the other street that it was near, and their mouths just dropped. It's amazing when stuff like that happens. So yeah, Tenocon was cool. They had uh, you know they they talked about things that were coming up in the game. Like I said, I got autographs. It's cool because I also see the dev team at PAX East. Yeah. So it's neat to walk up to them and say, "Hey, how's it going?" And they're like, "Hey, good to see you again. Thanks for coming." That's kind of cool. It is really good when these people actually remember you because mm-hmm. they must see so many people. 
Yeah. I mean, well, I guess I could go positively or negatively. Yeah, that funny looking guy. I can't forget him. <laughs> but <laughs> so, yeah, I did that. Went over to see some friends of mine in Ann Arbor, Michigan, because it was like, two hours to the west. So went over to Ann Arbor, spent some time with them. Went down to meet a Facebook friend of mine. We've known each other for like 10 years. And we've never had a chance to meet because we're like six to seven hour drive apart. But he lived only 45 minutes south of Ann Arbor. So I finally had a chance to go and see him. Oh, dude, we, you know, we, we love our retro stuff. I think he cataloged the last time over 4,300 console games. Wow. Atari, Coleco, uh, Intellivision, Sega, Genesis, just all these retro consoles. In fact, he had some cartridges from consoles that I'd never heard of because they were so badly sold. Mm -hmm. or, or should I say that they sold so badly they were pretty much dead on arrival. And he actually has games from some of those consoles. He's just got room after room after room of cartridges and not just that, collectibles, you know, statues and signs, displays from stores, fully neon lit, demo units that you'd find in stores, totally decked out. And that doesn't include two full walls of nothing but movies. I was complete. I've seen a couple of pictures of, of his inventory, but. You, that was nothing compared to what's really there. To see all of it was just mind-blowing. Totally mind-blowing. So, if, if you're a gamer, like I am. <laughs> Please tell me he had a Vectrex. He doesn't, but he's looking for one. Oh, wow. He, he's that... trying to get one. He, But he does have one of those full... I don't know if you remember the game called Steel Battalion. Name rings a bell. It's really hard to come by now because it had this massive joystick well I didn't want to call it that it was its own joystick console setup two joysticks multiple buttons and the thing is probably about two feet wide and it's the controls for this game because you, you're basically operating a mech so you've got two full joysticks you've got a whole bunch of buttons I remember when I was at PAX East a few years ago people went nuts because they had maybe 10 of those steel battalion consoles in one room which supposedly was the largest collection of those joysticks in a single room in recent history because they're so hard to find anymore wow. and here he was with one of them he was showing me some of the other stuff that he has in like a, a glass protective case lots of collectibles some of which were worth a couple hundred bucks close to a thousand on a few things just because of their rarity but I was just like, where did you get this? And he said he would grab all that stuff, right, like right when the game console was about to die out. Mm -hmm. So stores were selling them for like buy one, get two or three free just to get it out of their inventory. And he would just buy them all up and he just held on to them. As, as impressive as that is, he said that there are actually people out there that have collections greater than 14,000 games. I just like, <laughs> I started drooling, just like, oh my God. And yeah, of course he had the consoles for all of these as well. Mind blown, completely blown. One point I'm driving from Niagara Falls to London and I look to my right and I'm seeing nothing. I'm just like, that's weird. Why am I not seeing anything? It was like a gray, uh, I want to say misty, that's not really, but humid day. Mm -hmm. Go on a little bit farther and I look again, I'm not seeing anything. I'm seeing a shoreline kind of but then just gray. What the hell? I look at my GPS, and it's like Lake Ontario. It's like, okay, that makes sense. I'm in Ontario. 
So then going off to see my buddy, he needed me to stall a little bit because they had an appointment to do. So I went a little bit north of the intended path and I went to Lake Huron. And then I went to see my, my you know, my, the video game collector there, and his house is about three blocks from Lake Erie. So I got to see three of the Great Lakes in this this one trip too. Oh wow! Then went down to Pittsburgh, met some friends of mine there. Uh, they've got this one thing called the Duquesne Incline, and it's basically just it's an old late 19th century rail car that goes up the mountain roughly 45 degrees. Mm-hmm. The car, of course, they've got the car designed so that it's level, but the thing goes up this hill about 45 degrees to overlook the entire Pittsburgh area, and it's amazing. Wow. Finally had a chance to do that, too. Um, Then I went down to State College to meet a cousin of mine that I haven't seen in 28 years. Because I knew she lived in that area, and I figured, I'm going to be passing it, so I'm going to see if she's available. And sure enough, we met, and she took me on a tour of Penn State, which, believe it or not, I am a Penn State graduate. I've never set foot on main campus. I've had no need to. So that was my first time doing that. Then I went up and actually stayed with a, well, now former manager of mine, seeing as how I'm no longer employed by that company. But, you know, he and I are friends, so it's no big deal. But just north of him, we've talked about this, a Dairy Queen with a genuine NASA boiler plate. Yeah, we have spoken about this and we have spoken about taking a trip up there. And I took that trip. I actually did get an interview with the manager. I actually talked with him, and he was explaining all of it, and he was very forthcoming. He was glad to talk about it. But it's just weird because it's in the middle of, well, nowhere. In the interview, I do use the phrase Pennsylvania. I am from Pennsylvania, but let's face it, Pennsylvania is nothing but a few cities scattered here and there, and then it's farmland and forest. That's Pennsylvania. Mm Mm-hmm. Anybody who's ever driven through here knows exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) And to think that this unassuming NASA test module is just sitting in front of a Dairy Queen in northwestern Pennsylvania, there was no way I was not going to see that. And it's just there. It's, it's parked in the front. Yeah, so for, for people that don't actually know what a boilerplate is, it's it basically a mock-up capsule, isn't it? It's, it's got nothing in it. It's just there to fill the space. He seemed to be just as excited to talk about it as I was to see it. <laughs> yeah, when, he, when he finally came out, because he was busy doing stuff back there, he was glad to talk to me about it. Okay, so I am here in Franklin, Pennsylvania, and I am at a... Dairy Queen of all places, and I'm speaking to Colton Kemick. Okay, and what do you do here? Um, I'm the Dairy Queen manager here at Franklin, Pennsylvania. Okay, so we're in Franklin, Pennsylvania. Uh, we're got what's the closest city? Erie. Uh, Erie or uh, Oil City, Titusville. That right. That's about the closest small, bigger cities. But let's face it, we're in Pennsylvania, and I can say that because I'm born and raised Pennsylvania. So we're, we're we're kind of in the middle of nowhere here. But yet, we're standing in front of an original NASA boilerplate. Yep, the original space capsules, the training modules that they dropped from the atmosphere to train the frogmen to go recover them. Because uh, they lost a couple of the pods, and they didn't want to lose their astronauts again, so they used these as training modules for the frogmen to go recover. And they would drop them from the atmosphere and everything, and it's all gutted in the inside now, but... It's pretty crazy that it was actually dropped from space at one point. Okay, so the big question comes down to, I mean, how? How did this happen to come here? 
uh, the owner, actually, the old owner, actually decided uh, to go to the junkyard because he had seen it in the paper for like 500 bucks, and he bought it for about 500 bucks for scrap. 500. Yep. Okay, so when did he realize what it is? Uh, the second he saw it, he knew what it was, and he thought that'd be pretty cool to have in front of the Dairy Queen since we have an airport right over here. Right. And he, him and his buddy built the poles to install it on, and they installed this right here in front of the Dairy Queen in Franklin, Pennsylvania. Uh, it's just, it's insane to think that here is a piece of NASA history just sitting right here yeah, there's one of five left in the world and this is the nicest one pretty much out of the five i believe anyway there's one down in cape canaveral uh north carolina or florida mm -hmm. then there's one in north carolina too at the uh, uh, naval base and then there's one in uh north carolina that's privately owned and then one here in franklin pennsylvania and one's at the smithsonian as well so, is this from the Apollo mission specifically, or...? I believe so, yeah, this be Apollo missions, and this this was, I think, after... I can't remember which Apollo, the one that they had lost their recovery module. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's why they brought these around, was to train the frogmen, so... He decided to buy it up. <laughs> but he, he just found it in a junkyard? Yep. Nearby, or...? Yep, I think just a couple miles down the road, the junkyard really? had it, yep. It just... How did... This come to end up up here in you know northwestern PA in the middle of nowhere as a junkyard item. That is a great looking question. Yeah, I don't know. That's <laughs> <laughs> just which is amazing. I mean, it's so unassuming, and you guys don't really do anything with it. No. There's nothing saying this. This is a NASA boilerplate. It's just here. You drive past it and you think oh, it's just a weird looking hunk of metal. Yep. Why isn't this? advertised more um honestly i don't know inside here we have some nasa stuff and there's usually a video that gives you a little explanation as to why it's here and everything and how it came here but the dairy queen lady wanted me to update some pictures and stuff on it which i just haven't got to yet so that's the reason we don't well, have I mean, the video just there's a cool factor here yep. if you're a nasa buff this is just amazing to look at well yeah. i appreciate it so it's but i mean <laughs> So what do you do to maintain it? Just paint it regularly? And Yep, about every year I come out here with a scrub brush and scrub off all the dirt and then just roll white paint on it. I did, it did have like a USA flag on it somewhere, but we obviously painted over it after those years. Right. I mean, what would I mean if, if a bunch of NASA buffs came up and said, would you mind if we repainted this to look like the original? I mean, oh, I'd be all about it. Yeah. So there you go. Anybody who's hearing this, if you live near Northwestern PA and you got good painting skills, you love NASA, get up here and paint this thing. It's just, it's just amazing to look at. Yet it's so unassuming, right? You can take the plate off and climb inside and everything, and it's just all gutted right now. Right. So they took out all the good stuff. But yeah, it's definitely a piece of history that's pretty cool. People, people tell me, why don't you get rid of that thing? I said, are you kidding me? Yeah, this is history. Like, it's really neat, too. A lot of people stop just to see this. Yeah, I, mean, I wouldn't have known about this because we're about, what, 15 miles north of Interstate 80. Yeah. And unless you knew about this place and you knew this was here, you know, why else would you bother to come up here? Exactly. And it's just, so, yeah, because I saw this. Somebody actually forwarded Actually, you know what? It might have been my co-host, Mark. I think he might have mentioned it to me. And I was just like, what, are you kidding me? And I just so happened to be making a big whirlwind tour like around the, the Great Lakes and going to some uh, gaming conference in Canada, meeting some friends of mine. And I was going to pass this way anyway, and I said, I've got to stop by. Well, I'm glad I've you did. I've got to stop by. 
and it's just this <laughs> this is just so weird to think of that this was used for the Apollo program and here it is in you know middle of Pennsylvania yeah right in front of a random Dairy Queen and this random is Dairy Queen. the second largest Dairy Queen in the eastern part of the United States too really yep well that's cool there's yeah. something else well, okay, thank you. I appreciate you talking to me about this. No problem. And uh, so what's the easiest way to get here for anybody traveling on Interstate 80? Um, if you're getting off uh, Interstate 80 to go to Barkeyville and then just hit Route 8, and it'll take you directly here to Franklin, Pennsylvania. And you can't miss, Bob. I mean, it's behind the sign if you're coming from the south. Yep. But then when you see it, you see it. Yep, the big Dairy Queen open and close sign usually attracts people's attention to begin with, and then they see <laughs> this, so... That's awesome. Well, thank you for spending some of your time for this. Yes, I appreciate sir. it. No time. No problem at all. That is just strange. Mm-hmm. I mean, the area that it's in, it's just strange to be there for a start. Um, Interstate 80 is the one highway in the country that goes coast to coast. It, Interstate 80 basically goes from New York City to San Francisco. And here this was in the middle of Pennsylvania, about 15 miles north of one of the interchanges, just sitting in front of a Dairy Queen. <laughs> <laughs> no markings, no no mention about hey, you know, genuine NASA thing here. No no billboards to advertise it. Nothing. It's just there. But sure enough, I got to see it. I was just like, I don't believe this because you've seen the pictures. It's very unassuming. Mm. The assumption is that NASA, I guess, put out notice. You know, who's going to pay us the most for this medal? And that just happened to be a scrap dealer up near them. So you know, I, I don't know. That's I mean, it sounds legit. I mean, if if, if a local scrapyard is only going to give them a certain amount per ton, and yet this junkyard up in Pennsylvania is going to give them twice that, then maybe it would be worth it to haul it up there and say, here you go. Who knows? But it was amazing. Yeah. It really was. Cool. You just said cool. You're turning into me. <laughs> Actually, he did too in the interview, if you heard it. Yeah, I did know. <laughs> so all of that in one week. Wow. Lots of cousins, lots of friends, three Great Lakes, uh, one amazing video game conference, just a whole bunch of stuff, uh, one NASA boilerplate, <laughs> 1,500 3.1 miles. That's a trip. <laughs> that was a trip, yes. <laughs> In fairness, though, it wasn't all that bad because the longest segment of any of them was the trip to the f- very first one to go see my cousins up in New York, which is about five hours. All the others were like three hours, two and a half, two, three, one. You know, it's a, it was it was broken up very nicely. But it was an amazing, amazing week. Yes, and I'm sounds grateful like that I have a wife and family that don't mind me doing this sort of thing. Uh, they probably want to get rid of you for a week. <laughs> I have no problems with that. Well, it was funny because I was telling them what I was going to do, and then I was going to stop off at Niagara Falls. And immediately the kids were like, oh, I want to see Niagara Falls. And I said, okay, I'm going to go see people you don't know. I'm going to be doing, you know, going to places you probably have no interest in going. And I'm going to be putting, at my estimate at the time, 1,200 miles. And that's when they were like, oh, yeah, okay, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I actually started my tripometer, uh, reset it actually as I was leaving my garage, and just let it go till I got home. 1,503.1 miles. But it was still awesome. <laughs> I did not, however, I did not see any of those Canadian loonies that glow in the dark. Ah. Uh. Well, unfortunately, I found out they're a limited edition. Uh, that which makes sense. Well, we're hoarding them to sell them on eBay. Mm-hmm. 
really? So I ordered one directly from the Canadian Mint. Makes sense. Oh, well. Do what you got to (laughs) do. Right, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, it's going to be the main part of the show, and we're going to talk about Field of Force Day, West Midlands. I've thought about it a lot. Why does Britain create so many great filmmakers and actors? What is it about Britain that seems to generate these people? It's pretty phenomenal, the influence we've had on, on like, global culture. We really punch above our weight. When we were making Rogue One, I sort of half-jokingly but half-meaning it said to the producers, well, wait, let's just shoot in Canary Wharf. There's all the guys in the suits, you know, coming home from work, and we're not allowed to tell anyone, it's really secretive, and we're thinking, okay, we're gonna film Star Wars, and like, we had hidden Stormtrooper outfits and stuff, and we go in, and within an hour, turned it into the Empire. I went up to one of the art directors and was like, how did you, this was so good, like, how did you do this so quick? And he said, oh, we came in last night, and we did a practice run. Like the extra mile that the crew would always go to. It's kind of like a military operation. The great thing about British crews is they've been doing this, you know, for generations and and they've all inherited off the previous one all these little tricks of the trade. We had an assistant director on the film whose dad worked on the original New Hope and his job on that was to direct the X-Wing pilots for the for the battle sequence and his son on our film had exactly the same job it was really weird that felt really appropriate the great thing is on set is no one says no and you'd say to them like you can say no you know you, is is this a problem and they'd say no we don't we don't do that like they they sort of pride themselves on giving you everything you want there's something magical about great britain There's so many great examples of British filmmakers, people like Hitchcock and David Lean. And it's funny, because even people like from outside of the UK, like Kubrick, he ended up making Britain his home because, you know, the crews were so good. I'm Gareth Edwards, director of Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, and I'm very proud to say it was made great in Britain. This is TGP Nominal. Now, you've heard us talk about Field of Force Day in the past. A couple of episodes ago, I was actually invited by JJ and Simon to actually attend the Field of Force Day West Midlands event. It's the first time that it's actually been held in that area. It was organised by Sarah and her husband, Dan Parker, and... uh, It was held at the campus of Harper Adams University, which is just outside the Shropshire town of Newport. Uh, Newport is about 20 minutes away from Shrewsbury, the county town of Shropshire, and very close to the Welsh borders. Now, you you heard me call it Shrewsbury. If you are local, you call it Shrewsbury. If you live outside, most people call it Shrewsbury. But like a local person said to me at the event, you've never heard it called taming of the shrew 
well, of course, we've got a town here in Pennsylvania called Shrewsbury, and that's what we call it, Shrewsbury. Yeah. For some reason, people call it Shrewsbury, and I don't know why. Yeah, but you pronounce that river Thames. When you look at it, it should be pronounced Thames. <laughs> and saying that, there's a local river called the River Tame, and that is exactly the same, T-H-A-M-E, Tame. What's up with that? <laughs> like Pennsylvania and New York and, and other states in this area? We have a lot of names that are based on the American Indians. Mm -hmm. Those will send your head spinning if you don't know how to pronounce them. Yeah, there's some weird ones. One of my favorite ones over here is Toaster, which is spelled T-O-W-C-E-S-T-E-R. Right. <laughs> Towcester. Um, it's based around a Roman word. If an English town ends in Esther, chances are it's a Roman settlement. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. Apart from Manchester, I don't think Manchester was, but uh, Colchester, Chichester, Winchester, Worcester, Toaster, Bicester, and actually London comes from a Roman name. Uh, Londinium. Londinium, yeah. Of course, then you also got that one right there, Worcester, which is not spelled anywhere close to what it sounds like. Yeah. Worcestershire. Worcestershire, yeah. <laughs> How do we get on this topic? Let's get back to science fiction. So, yeah, I wasn't expecting as many of us to be in the convoy, <laughs> as it were, because uh, I thought it was just going to be myself, Alan Taylor Shearer, and his camera guy, Tom. When they met up with me at Peterborough Station, there was two people carriers <laughs> full of people. In the front car, there was myself and Tom with Alan Taylor Shearer's son and his girlfriend, Beth. And in the car behind there was Alan with his mum, Jenny, his other son, Connor and his friend Tom. So there was quite a few of us in transit. Let's go on with the first chat or interview that I conducted and it will be revealed in a moment. I'm here at Field of Force Day West Midlands and I am with the one and only Norman Lovett. How you doing, Norman? Yeah, not bad, thanks. Just finishing off my gin. <laughs> no, no, I don't drink. <laughs> now, everybody who listens to the podcast will know you as Holly from Red Dwarf. When did you start doing that? Um, I was 41. <laughs> And I'm 70 now, so what's that make it? 29, 29 years? 29 years, I think yeah. 30 years, they're celebrating 30 years of Red Dwarf next year, so... Yeah, yeah. Wow, long time. It's amazing, isn't it? It's lived on. It's, it's brilliant the way it's still attracting young fans as well. It's, it's wonderful. I'm proud to be a part of it. Absolutely. So how did you get involved with Red Dwarf? Um, I knew Paul Jackson, he was a producer, and I did a I did a series with Ruby Wax, two series. And she had a chat show. I've been in the Young Ones. I've done a bit of telly and stuff, and I was an alternative comedian. I, I wasn't that alternative. It just uh, I wasn't political really. I just did odd things. It's been done before, but that had gone well for me. And uh, and then I I read for Rimmer. Rimmer. Yeah. 
yeah. Wow. Can you believe that? I'm not a rimmer, am I? <laughs> and uh, then there was a thing about Alan Rickman read for it as well. And then there was a thing about John Lloyd telling Paul Jackson that, no, don't get actors. Don't use actors. And that was a good bit of advice for that. And they said, would I read for Holly? And Holly was a voiceover, so I felt, oh, bloody hell, I'm not going to be seen. I've just, you know what I mean? I don't know whether it's ego or... But, you know, I read for it, and I read the Everybody's Dead Dave scene. <laughs> Iconic. Yeah, and the producer and Ed By, the director, and the writers, Rob and Doug, and they're all laughing their heads off. And I thought, yeah, this this is more me. This, this is right. And I got the I got the gig, yeah. So, yeah, I remember that day. I remember it, yeah. As if it was... Yeah. 29 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) What was some of the most memorable moments for you being in Red Dwarf? There's been lots of stuff. You mean the actual scenes in the show? Well, not necessarily just scenes, but... uh, Are you looking for a bit of... uh, Yeah, behind the scenes. (laughs) No, I better shut up about that because I've said things before and and people say, oh, yeah. uh, Yeah, I've repeated myself so many times you can imagine it over the years can't you I think that's why me and Dan when we do our stuff now we, we're sort of we're sort of like we're bitching each other just to try and liven things up you know we don't really mean, mean it if anyone thinks we don't like each other rubbish we do we just do it to just give it another angle you know because yeah. we've, we've answered every question so many times but I would say I love doing the some of the scenes were great you know everybody's dead the dog's milk, you the, know, playing chess with Gordon, the lovely stuff like that. The, the dog's milk line is one of my favourite lines in Red Dwarf. It's, and it needed the straight man work of Craig Charles and his reaction, spitting it out, yeah. And he played that perfectly. Nothing wrong with dog's milk. Full of goodness. Full of marabone jelly. And the, and the Punchline trouble is no bugger or drinking. <laughs> Brilliant, absolutely wonderful. Yeah, you had your own television series from that from that as I well. I love it. Yeah, I wrote a pilot. There was a series of pilots they put out, and I wrote a pilot called "I Love It" and uh, with my talking dog, as you do. I had a painting that spoke to me. What was the painting? Was it an oil painting of a horse or something? Yeah, it's weird. I, I just love the and a spider as well. That spoke from a little hole. And, yeah, it had. Yeah, and also that lady in Coronation Street was in it, who played uh, Mini, Mini Coldwell. Was that? Yeah, yeah. She was in it. She was. Yeah, it was good. Uh, and another bloke from Coronation Street did the voice of the dog. And Steve Coogan actually read for the dog. Really? Yeah, I thought, God, I wish we'd got him to do the dog. Because <laughs> I'm a big fan of, the, you know, the Alan Partridge is one of the best comedy characters we've ever had, in my my opinion. You know. But yeah, that went, the pilot went well. Then, then we got the series. I know Alan Yentel wasn't a 
fan of it. That's why we never got a second series. What does he know about comedy? <laughs> and so, um, so then they said, well, can you, you can write it with Ian Patterson, who wrote Rab C. Nesbitt. Because I knew him, because I'd been in, I've been in some episodes of Rab C. Nesbitt. I've done some of that, little guest spots. And uh, we wrote, wrote, yeah, we wrote it together, and it was going well. We had plans, we had plans, and we could see what we needed to do to get make it even better for the second series. Never got the opportunity, unfortunately. But there's still a lot of fans today that of it. There's a, I often get asked, you know, are you gonna? Can we get it on DVD? I said, no, I can't afford it. <laughs> You've got to pay the BBC some money, and then you know you're not going to sell enough to make any money back. So it's not, you know. I think it's on the uh, YouTube anyway. Isn't I think it? so. Yeah. If you're desperate. <laughs> but, but no, it's a shame. I'd like to have done two or three series of that. That would have been good. But never mind. So what did it feel like for you when you got recalled um, to be in Red Dwarf back for the last episode of series seven? Seven. Yeah when they found me on the watch Crichton found me and I was looking up his nose and I said what is that your face <laughs> I took the mickey out of his face it was funny yeah that was uh, that was great the, and when it, when they played it we, we didn't it wasn't recorded in front of the audience it was a pre-record but when it was shown in front of the audience they were they really laughed they really loved it yeah you, you, you picked that up when it was when it was broadcast you had to you could pick up the feel yeah. that the audience loved yeah, you the excitement was great and yeah that was fantastic then I came back for series 8 I mean people have got different views of series 8 some there are fans and not so big fans of it but and because the writers had split up and I, I just wanted more of that early stuff and it it wasn't really there but there were jokes there but he, he did a joke about my head being a planet by doing an impression of the moon so I think the, probably the, the best parts of that series um, was the bunk scenes which took took you back to the, oh, the early days yeah, yeah, when they're in their bunks reminiscing and talking about early days and Rimmer battling against everything he'd, trying to justify everything he'd done wrong, you know. And, and Lister just being a slob and relaxing and not too bothered. Winding him up as much Winding as possible. Like anything. And then the cat coming in, which is brilliant. Yeah, yeah, it's lovely stuff. Lovely stuff. Yeah, it's, it's a shame. Uh, but, but watching it... As it, after that, what happened? Eight, then nine. Nine was when they went to Dave, wasn't it? Did the yeah, the, the, back to Earth. Yeah, back to Earth was, was fantastic. I was slated in for, not slated. I wasn't in it, but I was. I said keep clear for that, but I, they didn't use me. And in a way, I was quite pleased. I just found it a bit strange seeing them in Coronation Street. <laughs> but Doug was trying. You know, he had a low budget, and, and then he did ten, a ten, and that was a marked improvement. Got in front of the audience again, and eleven. I enjoyed that. I watched those; they were good, especially that girl in the first episode, Twentica. Oh yeah, she was very. She's good. a stand-up comedian. She, she was fantastic. I, I did feel when I watched it, I thought, you know, I got a lot of Twitter and Facebook of saying they want me back 
as holly. And I did feel when I watched it, I thought, yeah, it would it wouldn't hurt to have a bit of holly going on here, you know. I do feel I felt that myself. And that's without an e- me ego coming into it, just saying he should be in there to do a little bit of winding up now. Come on. So yeah. So since Red Dwarf, you've been back on the on the comedy circuit. Yeah, yeah, I did a show in Blackburn only a week ago. I did a, a show. Yeah, show in Blackburn. <laughs> It was so bloody hot, it reminded me of my early days doing music venues, which I did with, with punk bands and stuff. And it was a it was a pub, it was upstairs, and it was a, it was band stuff, you know, it was, it, was, it was a music venue. But they had three fans on when I went on, there were some other comedians and a compare, and I went on at the end, and I said, turn these fans off, you can hear the humming. And I'm quite low-key, I don't want to hear that. And we turned them all off, the audience didn't mind but it was so hot but it was a great evening the audience were fantastic they they went with everything I did and it was I love doing stand up I, I, I just feel even though I'm 70 just getting 70 now I just feel this is what I feel like I should actually be doing this job and I am well, do you know what I mean yeah that's fantastic I'm lucky you know that's how I feel so I'm, I'm very comfortable you know very comfortable with it I love doing it and making people laugh is it can't be a bad thing to do can it I think people more people should be making people happy yeah rather than trumping it or or that Piers Morgan and, and oh, Katie Hopkins oh, don't, don't go down that road <laughs> they, they do well because there's a lot of people who love hearing what they're going to say next you know and, but, and my favourite comedians I suppose I love Catherine Ryan she's like the new Joan Rivers she's like another Joan Rivers I don't like to say that because she's not the same as Joan Rivers but she's very funny and I love I love the Scottish ones the oh Frankie Boyle Frankie Boyle and the other guy oh the other guy the young he's younger than Frankie I think Um, Bridges Kevin Bridges Kevin Bridges yeah yeah. he's 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 clever he's very funny and there's a few comedians I like yeah they're really good Uh, would I lie to you I love that I love that program but the only problem I think we've got now is we need we need another office we need another you know Alan Partridge yeah Some, something, we, something that um, just need something exciting in comedy now you know something that's completely different yeah so I hope that happens in the next few years I'm sure it will it depends you know it's up to the people that commission things you know would, would you like to um, write and produce a, 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 a show for yeah I'm just so lazy <laughs> <laughs> I have been writing a thing called the Comic Con I have been writing that I've done enough of these things now there's a lot of funny things but I want to do it without being harmful to the fans or anything but there are some characters it's quite funny I know it's been done before but like Galaxy Quest a film and another one on the boat it was uh, Alan Partridge guys 
Steve Coogan. Steve Coogan, I yeah. Think he was in it, and I think his company were producing. Cruise of the Gods. Yeah. They did, yeah, Rob Brydon. Yeah. Who I love him, he's funny, isn't he? And uh, yeah, so I've, I've got that script, and I've, I've written quite a bit, got quite a lot there, and I just thought perhaps I ought to shuffle that, and I'll get that script done, and uh, perhaps we're ready for something like that, you know. You're not wrong, because you're right, there is a lot. Look how many there are going on with these, yes. they're everywhere, you know. There's at least 300 uh, different comic cons or film and comic and things uh, in the UK alone. So anyone else thinking of doing this, don't, because I'm doing it, all right? Yeah, Norman's copyrighted that. <laughs> but, yeah, I do that. I, yeah, I wish I was more... Like, all my jokes and stuff, I, I've got books and books of jokes, just ideas. But when I go on stage, I don't know what I'm going to start off with. You know, you have a finish, but you, there's so much stuff. And I thought, I wish I was harder working, like Jimmy Carr or Michael McIntyre. They're so... But I'm not like a robot. I'm not a robotic type of person, but... I suppose to be a success, a big success, you have to be, I suppose, I don't know. But I'm happy to plod on in my own way. I mean, I still get... People still come to see me, so that's the main thing. And the main thing is you're happy in what you're doing, so... I'm pretty happy, yeah. Yeah, I may not appear to be when I'm on stage having a go at moaning with her, but that's getting laughs, isn't it, you know, so... Well, Norman, it's, it's been fantastic talking to you. I hope uh, you understood what I've been trying to say. Oh, definitely. I'm a desperate man in need of help. <laughs> <laughs> um, and before, no, we, before we leave you, um, because the, the podcast was named after Red Dwarf, um, we'd love to make you one of our honorary crew members if we, if we, if we could. And by that, we will present, present you with one of our mission patches. So what's this? That what is? Tell me about this. Well, TGP. TGP, the garbage pod. The garbage pod. Nominal is a space term meaning everything is good. When they do space launches and things, yeah, uh, I mean, uh, if everything is nominal, everything's fantastic. So that's a happy thing. So if the world is TGP nominal, it's in a good everything place. is good. Well, I will treasure this, and, uh, and I'm honoured. Thank you very much. Can I uh, just ask you to um, to, to pose with it uh, for uh, a photograph? Yeah, certainly. certainly. God, what lighting that is! That's fantastic, isn't it? <laughs> Love it. And um, we'll uh, you'll Thank appear you. on our honorary crew member of wall as well thank you very much thank you thanks again pleasure 70 years old and still doing stand-up comedy it was good to hear that he goes to all these events all these comic cons and things and now he is trying to write a sitcom based around these experiences at comic conventions which will be yeah, why not it'll be hilarious because you do get some weird and wonderful characters turn up to um, comic conventions <laughs> mm. I've been trying to get hold of Norman for a while I was at a convention where he was uh, last year and we just it didn't work he was very busy couldn't get free time to talk with me but at this event it was a little bit slower paced and it was great to talk with him I actually spoke to him on Facebook about mm. a couple of days beforehand and said Norman would it be okay to have a chat with you for, the, for a podcast and he said yeah sure no problem 
Uh, as you heard there, it was about 15 minutes worth of uh, interview, but I was with him a lot longer than 15 minutes because there were some things that we spoke about that um, was pretty much off the record, to be honest with you. Um, I wanted to get as many of the Red Dwarf cast as honorary crew members because the TGP, the garbage pod, is something from Red Dwarf and if it wasn't for Red Dwarf I wouldn't have come up with the idea for the podcast in the first place so there you go <laughs> so I wanted to, to honour the cast of Red Dwarf for that reason absolutely amazing talking with him the next interview isn't one I actually did it was one that uh, Alan Taylor Shearer conducted amongst the stormtroopers bounty hunters doctors I find a space ball. My first at this convention. Are you able to, to tell me about, about yourself and why you're here? Or do you have to be aware of the Schwartz? Always aware of the Schwartz. I don't like to get Darth helmets in a bad mood. No, because he might go to Mr. Coffee, and if he goes to Mr. Coffee, anything could happen after that. <laughs> You're quite right. Quite right. So, what brings you to the Feel the Force Day? Well, um, in real life, I'm actually called Graham. I'm commanding officer of uh, a costuming club called the Dragon Order. Uh, we're here to support the event today in costume. Um, all our members of the club have film spec costumes. And basically, we like to turn up at events like this, support it, help raise money for charity. Where have you come from today? Uh, I've come from a little place called uh, London Now in North Wales. Uh, London Now, I know it well. I spent many, many a year at RAF Valley, so I know London Now very well. I also know RAF Valley very well, <laughs> very well as well. Yeah. Um, tell us about your group and what you do. Right, um, well, our, our group's been going for about uh, four years now. We're like-minded people who enjoy building and um, showing off our costumes. You can say we're photo tarts as well. Uh, we just <laughs> love um, getting our photo taken uh, and putting a smile on people's faces. Um, we do it entirely at our own expense. Mm. And, uh, you know, events like this are perfect for us. So you, you, you do travel, you quite widely travel, I imagine? Yeah, we travel uh, as far uh, as north as... Blackpool's our nearest to North One, uh, and then we've been, all, been all the way down to Swindon Comic Con as well, um, and um, but mostly around the Northwest area. You make these wonderful costumes, as you say, film spec. Um, why? Because we enjoy it. We enjoy the films. That's where we got our uh, our love of costuming from. We make or purchase the costumes ourselves at a totally our own expense. Some of them can run into thousands of pounds, depending on our budget. And um, and then we we come to uh, events like this and basically put smiles on people's faces. And it doesn't have to be just the young; it's the old as well, you know, or what we call the bigger kids. Mm-hmm. Um, have you uh, something that cosplayers? Have, have been dealing with is unwanted attention. Is this something that you've encountered or members of your group have encountered where hunters have been a little bit too pushy? a little bit too keen to get their hands on, on you? Yes, yes. I've been accosted once. I got whacked over the head by a, a girl in the, with a tea, tea towel and she had to be pulled off me. Another friend of mine was actually rugby tackled in, the, in, in the, her costume uh, and I actually cracked her costume and that was a, you know, just a fair bit to repair. To, uh, repair. Um, some, some people can go a bit over the top. Thankfully, 
Thankfully, at most events, the security staff are quick to um, react uh, and, uh, and make sure that uh, order's restored. Mm. It must be very intimidating. I mean, okay, you're in a costume and you, you, you know, you're behind a mask, so you have you have that kind of thing to hide behind but it, you've got to keep going after something like that haven't you an event like this you, it's not a case of right well that's me done in some respect you've got to come back out and you've got to put that to one side you've got to try and forget it and, and yeah I mean for me that, it's that small incident with, with a girl didn't really phase me so I just laughed off and carried on you know being in a group it helps if you're an, an individual then it can be a lot more intimi- intimidating it can put your off-putting it does put a lot of people off yeah, yeah um, and there's the saying just because in costume doesn't mean you can you can. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But that aside, let's come back to the fun today. Um, lots of kids are exploring their science fiction heroes and their science fiction fantasies. Um, and I was talking to uh, a gentleman who brought his son today, uh, who is on the autistic spectrum, uh, ADHD, etc., etc. Um, and he was saying that this is absolutely perfect because if you need somewhere quiet, away from the bustle, it's there, which is not something you get at a regular Comic Con. Um, this particular event today, you've, do you find that particularly special? Um, I think for the youngsters, if it's their first time, uh, to anything that's remotely like a Comic Con, this one is fantastic. But also, being this one's for the uh, visually um, impaired as well, it enables those people to get um, a hands on feel. I'm well aware that um, visually impaired or blind people, they, they use a lot uh, more tactile. Mm-hmm. so they can identify who is in front of them and that's what we give them well, we, as well we give them that ability to mm-hmm. uh, meet their characters um, and uh, identify them Wonderful, thank you once again for everything you're doing today and everything that your group does and uh, thanks for talking to me Thank you very much indeed The Dragon Order is a little bit different than a lot of the other groups that I've had dealings with because most of them have a certain theme like for example the Joker Squad they're stuck Star Wars, and then you get the Gotham City cosplayers, you get the Cyber Legion for Doctor Who, you get a lot of these different groups. The Dragon Order, they have all kinds of things. They have Doctor Who, they have Star Wars, they have, as you heard, Spaceballs, <laughs> which was very <laughs> unusual to see. Although at Field of Force Day last year, we did see someone dressed up as Bath. Nice. Which was really cool. <laughs> I found it quite amusing when he said he was attacked by a girl with a tea towel. I thought, <laughs> okay, fair enough. What's going on there? What? A tea towel? Why would why would you bring a tea towel to a comic convention? I don't get it. <laughs> uh, you know, I have to even look up what a tea towel is. A tea towel, right. Uh, imagine if you were washing the dishes and you don't use a dishwasher. Okay. The towel that you use to dry the dishes... Okay, so all right, we just call it a dish towel over here. Yeah, okay, that's fine. Yeah, of course. You know what? I can't say anything because I kid you not. A company that I worked for many years ago, we had a company meeting. One of my coworkers, I swear this is one hundred percent accurate. He went to this corporate meeting with a machete and a stuffed danger mouse. I'm scared. No, he didn't hurt anyone. He he wasn't. (laughs) I, I could not see him as a violent person, but. He was definitely out there, but it's like, why did... A a machete? 
and a stuffed danger mouse. No incidents, just a lot of weird stares to him. Yeah. But I did appreciate the stuffed danger mouse, but even I realized this is a strange time to bring that in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I, 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 I have met some strange characters in my life. Um, so I guess a tea towel is kind of mild. Yeah. But the other one, though, the uh, the girl that was um, rugby tackled, and then uh, it cracked her armor or whatever she was wearing. Yeah, that's nuts. I mean, that stuff, you know, to repair is not cheap. Well, I mean, at, at PAX East this year, I was talking with someone who... There's a game series. Actually, you probably know the movie, Ratchet and Clank. Oh, yeah, very so much. Even if you don't know the game, you know, you if you've at least seen the movie or commercials for it, you know who Ratchet and Clank are. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, she had this full ratchet outfit, and it looked great. And you know, I was talking with her about it, and she said, yeah, I've got several fans in here and cooling mechanisms and blah, blah, blah. And she said that there have been times where people would just come up and just hug her and break her outfit. Yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? I mean, you want people to be close with you and things, but you still got to be careful of the, of the outfits, you know? Yeah, you know, and, and then the guy who hugged her made it seem like it was her fault for making a crappy outfit. Uh, what? No, you went up and hugged her when you shouldn't have, and that's it's all on you, buddy. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the time, if, if I want to get my photograph taken with someone, I ask if it's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I'm very, especially if it's a female, I'm very cautious of where I'm putting my hands. Oh, yeah. A lot of the time, I don't actually make any contact at all. It looks like I've got my arm around them, but there's no actual physical contact. Yeah. I mean, if, if she does it first, fine. Uh, but even then, it's, like, really careful to put it around the waist. But otherwise, hands off. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm always respectful of the people. Uh, I always ask the question, is it okay, you know, to move in a bit closer and things? And that, you, you just use your common sense, basically. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I'm sure that there are some, there are some cosplayers who just... No, I guess from the nature of the character, how much that character is loved, what could happen. Mm-hmm. But I don't really think that any of them make their outfits, except maybe really experienced ones, they, that they make their outfit with the assumption that people are going to come up and hug them. Mm-hmm. Or, or, you know, or, what did you say, rugby tackle? Yeah. <laughs> come on. Rugby tackle seems to me that they took a dive at them. You know. Why? Why would you do that? You know, <sighs> just seems weird. Next interview uh, is one I conducted with a lovely fella that um, I met last year at Wickham Comic Con. Now, this guy was actually brought into Wickham Comic Con last year to be the host of their Q and A sessions because he's such a good showman. Right, I'm back at Field of Force Day, West Midlands, and I am with Brian Wheeler. How are you doing, sir? I'm really good, thank you. It's great to see you again. And it's the Brian Wheeler. <laughs> Sorry, sir. <laughs> you could never upset me, you know that. I know, this is Mr. Entertainment right here. <laughs> well, what haven't I done? That's what I'd like to know. <laughs> that is true. I mean, you've been involved in, in so many different movies um, and all sorts of different things. Yeah. 
I've done movies, I've done television, I've done circus, I worked in holiday centres in Britain and abroad. I've even entertained the Saudi Arabian prince at one of his birthday parties. So, yep, I've done everything and anything. Wow. And it all started because of Star Wars Return of the Jedi. All they wanted was someone under four foot six and there was 30 of us that all did it and got the job. <laughs> I was a Jawa and an Ewok. My favourite, obviously, was a Jawa because Ewoks were very, very hot. Lots of foam, lots of hair and also we were 40 foot or so up in the air so it was very hot and they lit a fire. So, in both cases, uh, let's start off with the Jawa. Where, where were you based when that, when that was being filmed? Unfortunately, I was only... Well, not unfortunately, fortunately. I was always based just in Elstree Studios, Bournewood Studios, um, and we did the Ewoks, we did the interior of the village, and that was mainly there, and then in Jabba the Hutt's Palace uh, for the Jawas. Wow. You'd mentioned at uh, one of the other events that we were at about uh, a slight mishap that happened when uh, you were on set. Uh, if the one you're talking about is a Jawa, that was the one. We um, Jabba the Hutt's Palace, uh, when Mark Hamill, Luke Skywalker, falls through the uh, trap door to the monster, he was, in actual fact, in the original film, supposed to jump up and grab the bars. However, me and my partner in crime, Andy Heard, who lives out in Belgium, lovely guy, and we, me and him had to run across the bars and go and thump his hand with our uh, guns. And um, we couldn't see very well, so uh, every time one of us fell through the hole and we'd hear cut, and then I'd go, if it wasn't me, I'd go, you OK, Andy? Or Andy would go, you OK, Brian? The trouble was, we'd fall through the hole, but unfortunately it was only one leg would go through the hole. So all you men out there would realise how painful that was. Ouch. <laughs> now, or even, ouch! <laughs> yeah, depending on how hard you went down. Um, <laughs> now, from, from that, that indicated that you've had some other mis- mishaps whilst you were on set. Um, which film are you talking about here? Yeah. That sounds like you've had a lot then. <laughs> Oh, there's always mishaps on sets. <laughs> you just never know, you can never say too much. <laughs> but the other one, it didn't actually happen to me, but it was um, actually one of my co-pilots in um, Ewoks, and they got a bit too near the fire in the, uh, the final scene of where we have the celebration, and um, somebody shouted out, fire, and they said, yes, it's a light. And they said, no, actually, one of the Ewoks is a light. <laughs> so he suddenly got dampened down. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> burning hair is, is not, not the best thing. It's not the best it's not, all, not at all. Now, how did you get your career started? I mean, I mean, you've been involved in so many things, as you mentioned. Back in them days, we're talking 30, 40 years ago, there wasn't so many small people in the business, so there was only a, a small group of us, and we all used, used to get the jobs, and I, that's how come I know so many people, and also miss the late, great Kenny Baker and Jack Purvis because I worked quite a lot with them and in other jobs so we actually all became very good friends to start with I was in the circus because I needed proper work and I had a lot of friends that do the circus and then I left the circus and um, I thought what should I do next and I saw an advert for a holiday camp uh, in Barry Island which is South Wales and uh, I got the interview and they said to me can you sing and I said well I think I can but nobody else does and they said uh, can you play an instrument 
tournament and I said yeah I can play a tape recorder <laughs> so I sort of got the job and uh, I took over the adult bar in there and then I got poached by Pontins and went to Pontins Prestatin and then uh, they poached me again and I went off to air tours and travelled all through the Med for about six or seven years Wow that must have been an, uh, quite an adventure Yeah it was really nice because um, as I say I had a team of entertainers and uh, nobody realised that I was the boss <laughs> because nobody expected a dwarf to be the boss and I'd just uh, have everybody organised and um, let other people pretend they were the boss and I could then see and hear a lot more than people thought I could That's <laughs> in a way good and in a way quite sneaky Yeah, <laughs> people just saw you as one of the guys, not the boss that way people tend to be more open with you yeah they were a lot more open with me and they also used to pick on me a lot more <laughs> the amount of times I got dropped in the swimming pool and <laughs> everything else because anybody that knows me and anybody that ever meets me realise that I do like a fun and I do like a laugh but I do unto others as I would have done to myself <laughs> you are a bit of a practical joker I know that <laughs> I have been known <laughs> <laughs> but that's all part of the fun and that's all part of Brian Wheeler and, and you wouldn't be the same without it thank you very much and I I wouldn't change it for the world well Brian thanks for talking with us always a pleasure always thank you okay I want to buy him a pint <laughs> there is never a dull moment when Brian's around I don't know if I, I mentioned to you uh, when we were capturing the the Q&A session at Wickham Comic Con last year I was putting all the microphones and things on the tables in front of the, the sofas where the talent was talking and I was doing sound checks and things uh, I had my headphones on Brian came up from behind me, picked up one of my headphones, and he slammed it back down on my ear. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's the kind of thing he does. But yeah, he's been in in lot. He was in Neverending Story, actually. Really? Yeah, and uh, quite a few other movies. Um, what was he in Neverending Story? I don't know what his character was actually. That, I love that movie. Absolutely love that movie. There it is. He is uncredited as a giant mushroom creature. I'm guessing that's at the Ivory Tower. <laughs> if you know Brian is going to be at a Comic-Con, you know you're in for a fun time. Sounds like it. <laughs> and as you can tell, we've, we've got a bit of a <laughs> rapport going, <laughs> going on. Yeah, there. you do know each other, that's for sure. <laughs> I've never had the opportunity to interview him before but it's uh, great to meet up with him again and, and, and chat with him properly. But uh, you, you can ch chat with him for hours because he's got so much stuff that he's been involved in, mm. um, which was really, really cool. Now, the next interview, uh, well, not exactly an interview, it's another one that uh, Alan conducted, but have a listen to this. We're venturing now into what is the bowels of this building. We've gone through the door. You can hear that the... The noise has reduced. It's got a lot quieter. We're following signs that say more displays this way. Oh, it's taking us outside. Well, this is good. Ah, oh, we're outside in the fresh air. I was going to say fresh air, but it's, um, yeah. <laughs> it's a little, um, I think we're in, the, we're in some farmland. Please ensure you wash your hands after handling the animals. So you travel around letting people sort of share and yeah. touch these, these creatures. Yeah. Wonderful. Weird and wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> we do a lot of things like this. We go to like care homes, hospices. We do education work in schools. 
do a lot of things, don't we? And all the animals that we bring out to these sort of things are like animals who have suit before it. So we do have like birds of prey and things like that, but you can't touch them because it's um, strips of oils in their feathers. Yeah. So we always pick the right animals for the right occasion. And temperament's important as well, I imagine. Yeah, it is. Like, all the animals we pick are animals that are used to being handled and stuff and don't mind being handled. Whereas we do have animals like, say, a kinkajou, who doesn't really like people other than a few people. Like, meerkats are terrible for um, handling. Because mm. meerkats are very, let's say, aggressive sometimes. <laughs> Now, that's not the image that's been no. shown in the media, is it? It's right. not. Simples. No, it's not. Meerkats, like, we've got one called Kevin, and he used to be called Killer Kevin because he used to just attack you as soon as you were walking, like, jump on your back. Turns out he had a thyroid issue, which was cut the cause, but now Dave's the angry one. <laughs> Dave's the girl. Turns out, found that out when she went to get neutered. <laughs> Turned out the vet phone. Sorry, we can't new today. We've got a spare. She's a girl. <laughs> Just kept the name. So, if people want to know more and maybe get you to come to their their organisation, how do they get in touch? Um, we have a Facebook page called Weird and Wonderful. Though I don't really know. We've got like flies and stuff. We've got a phone number. Okay. Which I don't know all of that because I'm just the worker. I'm not the head company person. <laughs> I don't have Facebook myself, so I don't know. But um, Weird and Wonderful, and it's got a picture of an iguana in a circle on, online. And then we also have um, Twitter, Instagram, all these things. Excellent. All the social media and stuff. <laughs> What's the other animal that I can see over there? That's a skunk called Matilda. Um, a skunk? Yeah. She's around um, seven years old now, Matilda, and she was actually a rescue skunk. So the person who had illegally descended her, which means you take away the scent gland from her. You know the thing that makes them spray, mm-hmm. which is not very nice because a skunk's not going to spray unless they're scared or stressed or like anything like that. So she came to us really like not very friendly, very like injured. She had to have loads of vet bills, but now she's our friendliest one. She doesn't Wonderful. really go out that often anymore though, because she's um, semi-retired. <laughs> <laughs> So, do you, do you get a lot of rescued animals? We do get a lot of rescued animals. Some of them we keep. Like, we have a skunk called Einstein who, they say, killed his mate, but we think they were trying to breed them, like, way too young, for, which for skunks, because we don't really breed. He used to spray and bite every time we first got him, but he never comes out to the public because, you know, it's not fair on him. He's just a friend for all of ours. We do get a lot of rescue, like, um, reptiles and stuff and birds, but yeah. we don't always keep them up, because it's not fair. And these guys run up, like, a new home where they can have, like, one-on-one so we do have a lot but all of these tortoise are rescues we have one with um, only three feet I'll show you <laughs> oh. yes. a tortoise it's uh, Stumpy <laughs> Stumpy the tripod oh yeah because these are um, Mediterranean tortoise so they need heat constantly like instead of living they can't live outside in winter silly or they don't hibernate so the person that had him left him and his foot got an infection he had to get it amputated at least it was only the foot and not the whole leg he still waddles around but these will get a lot bigger these tortoise one's grumpy. Grumpy. <laughs> and that one's bumpy. <laughs> Get them all rhyming names for the children forever. Excellent. And I, I'm seeing an armadillo. This is an armadillo. <gasps> this is... Do you know, I've never seen a, an actual armadillo in... in, in I've not. ...up close and personal. This is a three-banded armadillo. So he's got the three bands. Okay. There. He doesn't really come out much. <laughs> well, no. He will eventually throughout the day, but it's on his own terms. 
isn't it, Danny? But that's his head and that's his tail. And it's bit. perfectly all mixed. It does. Yeah. Wow. The bigger ones can't do this, the six bandages and stuff. Mm-hmm. Because he's a lot smaller, he can. Though we do have another three bandage who is a rescue, and she was hand-reared when she was a baby, but not by us, but by somebody else. Right. And because of that, she can't curl up into a ball. And her shell, you see, it kind of goes like this. Hers mm-hmm. goes in here, and it's got a perfect handprint there, so she just gets stuck on her back a lot. Oh, we are looking nice. at um, shell surgery for because it's living bone. Mm-hmm. You can't just plonk something on and hope. You need to like, keep changing it constantly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't you, Danny? <laughs> he just, just sort of appeared yeah. briefly and then disappeared. He does sometimes come out. No, he's not. <laughs> this is all his hair that keeps him warm and nice and insulated. Isn't that amazing? That's yeah. So cool. They're very smelly, that's, though, armadillos. That's super cool. And the big ones can dig before. out of concrete. Really? Yeah. If he was on soil now, he would have probably woken up and dug out. Yeah. Good Lord. Very disruptive. So like I've definitely learned something today because I didn't realise <laughs> they were diggers and yeah. I didn't realise they could curl up that. And like I say, this is the first one I've seen. Yeah. Like, you know, so. Same. Cool. We do have reptiles and stuff that will come out in the day, but when it warms up a little bit, yeah. You know, yeah. it's not fair to bring them out because they're cold blooded. We've got lots of reptiles, haven't have we? Yeah. What have you got? Lots of snakes, big yeah. dragon, um, water monitor, scorpion, tarantula. Yeah. Oh. We've got a bit of an exotic zoo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't really like the exo- I mean, the, um, reptiles and stuff as much as no, they're not cuddly, are they? But it's not even the cuddliness. I just, I, just, I like the crested gecko a lot. He's cool. Yeah, and I like I like individual animals as opposed to whole species. Mm-hmm. But we've got um, an Asian water monitor called Dizzy, and he's he's terrible. He's like we got him when he was about this big, and now he's about this big, and he's still at the angriest thing ever. <laughs> Death rolls, bites, he had poos on you. Oh my word! Oh no! He's pretty chill. Because he's um, really good for going to like, the schools and stuff mm-hmm. when he comes out eventually. <laughs> which is very unlikely that he will right now. If you come back later, you might see him out. Like the Royal Python's pull up there. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> we've, we've, we've had a, we've got one of those. <laughs> yeah. And he, he literally, he, he opened the viv. Yeah. <laughs> ball. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> sort of sit on the sofa and the ball. eventually wakes up. That's what I like about Royal, it's so calm. Like yeah. the other snakes, I don't really like fast snakes because I'll just lose them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm holding them. They'll just go. And she had like a massive bun because you know they have a light guard on the heat lamp. Yeah. And she like for almost two years she couldn't shed properly. Because it was like almost to the um like organs and stuff. But now she's friendly, called Rosie, she goes out a lot. She isn't out today, I don't think. She's due at feet. So we've, it's not just science fiction here at Field Force. It's not just stories and it's reality as well. It's real life. It's allowing people who maybe maybe have never seen or touched or encountered an armadillo before, like I uh, like I did today. For the first time in my life, I'm 48 years old and I've been up close and personal with an armadillo today. That really is genuinely a first for me. And I can see skunks and there's some uh, reptiles and the main attraction here is the rabbits though. People are wanting to cuddle the rabbits. So you weren't expecting this today, were you Beth? No! I love bunnies, they're so cute. Aww. Can I strike one? Yes, please. Mm-hmm. Hey, 
This is cool. That's so cute. This one's Pablo. Why is it in the van? In the end. Pablo. Oh, he's our smallest rabbit. He just turned three. He's like my original rabbit, but then I took the three home from work that we have. Yeah. We've only got yeah. one here. So I've got more space for them. Yeah, I wish I could have more of them. Yeah. I have relatives in Texas who have never seen an armadillo except as roadkill, and yet he got to see one over there. Yeah. <laughs> How does... And skunk, you guys don't have skunks over there. We native, don't have do skunks here, too. No, we don't have them. So that's strictly an American thing. And it's illegal to uh, remove their scent. Uh, I don't think they did it by official terms. I don't think they went to an official vet. It's sort of like a backstreet vet, if you like. Mm. Um, and that probably... You know, could cause more damage than than anything else. So sure. I, I don't think it's the fact that it's it's illegal to have them descented. You just got to go through the official terms. But we all know you got rabbits. You know, especially you know in, in caves of Kyrbanog. Oh yeah, down in Cornwall. Yeah, we've got yeah. Uh, <laughs> killer rabbits down there. Run away! Run away! <laughs> <laughs> Wizards named Tim. <laughs> Sorry, that reference had to be made, especially with us. <laughs> Weird and wonderful, great organization. And they do a lot of work for people with learning difficulties and um, at schools. It's, it's education. And that sort of thing is certainly perfect for Feel the Force Day. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize that Feel the Force Day doesn't just mean Star Wars. Like she said, that it's the kind of animals that they bring to these events which are more tactile. An armadillo is fantastic for that. Imagine feeling an armadillo for the first time. It'd be... That's nuts. <laughs> that is nuts. But that, that's what it's all about. So I'm back at Field of Force West Midlands and I'm talking with Paul Naylor who is a contributor to Jedi News. Hi Paul, how are you doing? Hello there, good to see you. Now Paul, um, tell us a little bit about Jedi News and, and what they actually do. Yeah, Jedi News has been going in its current form for 10 years. Prior to that it already existed as Jedi News uh, and was run by James Burns and Mark Newbold who then at the time was running a website called Lightsaber. They joined forces and retained the name Jedi News but so it's just celebrated in its new format if you like its 10th anniversary so it's it's a website it's Facebook Twitter all sorts of different sort of uh, platforms where you can get the information about the latest happenings in the Star Wars galaxy uh, be it news or uh, interviews events such as this uh, that we've been to today uh, and we were lucky enough to be over in Florida earlier in the year for the 40th anniversary so yes it's uh, it's anything and everything to do with Star Wars and today I um, was told about uh, Jedi News were going to be involved and I, I had to come along and, um, and uh, make myself known to you guys that's really nice of you really it, nice because I've obviously read some of your articles and things yeah. and it is in the UK one of the, the forerunners for information about what's going yeah, on in Star Wars yeah thank you for that yeah I mean prior to, to actually becoming a member myself it, it, was, it was my first go-to place for all things Star Wars news related so um, I was a journalist working in the local area for the Shropshire Star and uh, one of the uh, tasks I was given to do for a full page feature was to speak to Mark Newbold one of the co-originators of Jedi 
Jedi news. And uh, Mark only lives in Burntwood, which geographically where, where we are now is probably about half an hour away from where I live. I was supposed to be on the phone for 15 minutes. I had to talk to Mark for about an hour and a half because we got so much in common and uh, struck up a friendship from there and things evolved. We met up, went for curries, we went to different events together, covered the London, um, the Celebration Europe over in London last year. I covered it for the newspapers but sort of was also on the Jedi News stand uh, with Steve Sansweet, if anybody knows Steve Sansweet, who is the go-to collector of all things Star Wars over at uh, Rancho Obi-Wan. So yeah, and then uh, from there on in I was, uh, they said yeah you're a member now as far as we're concerned so yeah went to Florida earlier this year to uh, a celebration for the 40th anniversary of Star Wars which was an amazing event and uh, I've contributed articles such as Force Friday when there's been midnight openings at Toys R Us done that a couple of times for them and uh, come along to events such as this I mean there's absolutely no no excuse for me not being here today since I live about a, a mile and a half away so uh, and it's been a really nice event to come to I find with the Field of Force Day events they're different to any of the others yeah. uh, the, the nature of the whole event is more friendly absolutely yeah it, it's like they say I think they use it as a tagline quite often it, it's, it's got a, a fuzzy warm feeling about it and that's because what they're doing is they're trying to, to make it as uh, as accessible for everybody and we don't mean sort of ramps and things like that it, it, mean, it means that everybody is welcome to attend and everybody is treated on, on a level playing field which is what it's always been about and I think the Star Wars community in general it, it, it's a real level playing field you, 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 you get to know people and if you've got that love of Star Wars you're friends it's as simple as that and uh, it, it's been a real nice way to make some, some good good friends and some good colleagues and uh, I love working with Jedi News it's a, it's a great place to work Yeah, it's, it's fantastic to be in an environment where you just love what you do yeah absolutely yeah I mean you know, it's, it's amazing to, to be doing something for, for a living <laughs> I count it as a living because uh, I'm forever doing stuff for them uh, it's all it's all gratis. Um, I, in my uh, in my day to day work, I'm a graphic designer, stroke media uh, business, uh, and uh, this is sort of something that I do for fun. But uh, you know, it's a great opportunity to meet some of the actors, be be they major or minor in Star Wars. It, it doesn't really matter if they're in it for three seconds. If you know that character and that character resonates on the screen, then it's nice to meet the person behind the mask because more often than not, they are behind masks. <laughs> and there's been some nice people here today. Uh, I've hooked up with people that I've met before, like Brian. Wheeler, he's a real character, and you'll probably see a picture of him wearing a Jedi in his T-shirt. <laughs> he's a, he's an absolute star. So it, yeah, it's it's just great to come along and sort of introduce yourself and uh, have a chat with your heroes. Yeah, the, with, with Brian, the one one photograph you might not see is the one with him out of the uh, Jedi in his T-shirt. Yeah, I've got a couple of those. I'll email those to you. <laughs> we'll put a censored mark across them. <laughs> he's certainly a character. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Yeah. Well, Paul. Well, thanks for talking with us brilliant yeah thanks so yeah that was Paul Naylor from Jedi News and uh, hopefully we'll be catching up with him again in the, in the future there is a possibility that I might be featuring on one of their podcasts uh, their podcast is actually called Radio 1138 <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that comes out. The next one uh, is another one of Alan's, and Alan wanted to pick up more of what was going on as a feel of the day, um, and this is an example of that. 
I've been chat with Lee. Now, tell us why you're here and what, what particularly drew you to this event. Well, we came here uh, as we have a love of uh, sort of science fiction. Sort of grew up with most of the, you know, the Star Wars, Star Trek type things. Um, but also because my son is uh, is autistic, he has ADHD, Asperger's. It was sort of we thought it might be a better environment for him to enjoy it more. The actual, you know, uh, meeting the people, you know, looking at the collections, things like this, and it's just a bit more sort of downbeat. We have been to my major uh, comic cons, and you can imagine somebody with ASD uh, can find it very difficult to deal with all the uh, the lights, the sounds, the the environment because it's very very busy, uh, and you know they can have a tendency to use up their social energy, as they call it. It takes a lot for them to really you know deal with that situation. So we thought it was a, a great environment to do see something that we like, mm-hmm. and basically you know we enjoy you know um, something that we love. Now, I've been wandering around, and it, there's more than just sci-fi here. I've been out the back, and there's animals there that people can, you know, you can talk to. Sorry? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's some signs that say to the other displays. Um, so that, for me, really does encapsulate what Feel the Force is, because it's not just, oh, we can, we can go and find out about Doctor Who or something like that. There's a lot more tactile... There's a lot more um, approachability as well, as you, as you were saying, and I yes. think that's amazing. Uh, my son's autistic as well, he, yes. he's on the spectrum, um, and we, we've come from King's Lynn today, and we would normally go to Peterborough to see this, which is a really big venue, and he does struggle there, but they have quiet rooms. Um, and you can go and have one-to-ones with some of the characters and everything. That's a fantastic opportunity. Why isn't there more of this? Well, you know, I'm hoping. I mean, certainly there was a, an event earlier in the year in Telford called the FCD event, um, which they were looking for uh, local charities, uh, of which my wife is a coordinator called Pods, Parents Opening Doors, mm. for children like Matthew. And uh, we were trying to see whether, you know, they could actually get a stand like, uh, like the one behind me here. In fact, uh, you know, I think it would be better to have more of these sort of events because it, it makes you feel more comfortable. You're not sort of you're not tense uh, all the time for the you know for your children because you don't know how they're going to react in this sort of environment. And to be honest with you, I think they should have more of these as well. So yeah, totally agree, and I hope it will you know will blossom from there as far as you know fill the force day. You know, maybe they'll have, they'll have a you know a Star Trek one or something like that. You know, that will be good. Thank you very much, Lee, and I hope both of you have a great day today. Yeah, thank you very much indeed. Nice to meet you. So, yeah, it was nice to actually hear somebody who is a, a kind of a recipient of one of these events. It's just a nice feeling to, to talk to someone who appreciates what these events are trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. There they were talking about other charities uh, that would, you know, like to get a bit of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, exposure, if you like. And that's the other thing that Field of Force Day does. It, it allows smaller charities and things to actually get the word out there about them. Any kind of advertising for something like this is good. Same thing with Cripping the Con. You know, hopefully that'll, that'll end up being, you know, just getting bigger and bigger over time, word of mouth. Mm-hmm that sort of thing only good things can come of that that's right and and one for Star Trek would be kind of cool but in my demented mind the first thing I thought of was feel the phaser and then I thought about that some more and I thought that's a really really 
bad name. <laughs> Way too many potential connotations on that one. <laughs> this is Arnold J. Rimmer from Red Dwarf. You're listening to TGP Nominal. Listen to it. So I'm back at Field of Force Day, West Midlands, and I'm with some costumers. They are from the Mandalorian Mercs, and I have Simon and Jane. How are you doing? Oh, doing great, thank you very much. Having a super day. Yeah, brilliant. So um, how long have you guys been involved with the Mercs? Um, for a year, actually. Uh, it was my 50th birthday last, last year, and um, coming up to my 50th, Jane said to me, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, I want to throw myself out of a plane or kind of bungee jump or do something like that kind of thing I don't know and she said well actually I'm having a look there's this uh, Star Wars event in London the Star Wars celebration coming up we'd never been to a convention before and I was like you know what we can we can go into London if it's rubbish we can go through the art galleries and we'll have a, have a nice time and a few weeks went past and I'm, I'm actually an artist uh, and I work in video games and I was kind of like sitting there thinking well you know what would be really cool is to build a costume and uh, give it a go so I was like you know we could build Mandalorian costumes like that that's how it started, wasn't it? Yeah, my only con- uh, consideration was I wasn't going to wear Princess Leia brass bikini. So I said I was quite happy to do anything else. So the Mandalorians kind of suited both our purposes quite nicely, and I've been very happy to let Simon do the majority of the construction. I just uh, wear it now. <laughs> now that you've got a lot more female Mandalorians mm. getting involved in things, it's, it's, it's really cool. It is very cool, and uh, I must admit Sabine Wren is... Uh, one of my favourite characters and I would love to be able to uh, cosplay as Sabine so that would perhaps be another challenge for us to uh, encounter upon our cosplay. Yeah, it certainly sounds like I'm going to have to hone my sewing skills because that was the one thing I had to learn for some of this was actually uh, learning how to sew because I can quite pretty much fabricate. All the armour itself is made out of uh, PVC foam board. It's, uh, you can, it's called Foamex in the UK, Sintra in, uh, in the States. And then what you do is buy it in big sheets. It's normally used for signs and you cut it to shape, heat form it with a heat gun and uh, sand it and fill it and everything. So the whole kit, well, both, both of these kits were scratch built uh, I think probably about £200 in total for the whole lot and everything apart from I think uh, two pairs of boots some under armour and a boiler suit and some gloves uh, we've uh, built ourselves it's, it's just amazing the fact I just can't get over the, how much it costs to build them. Yeah. It's just amazing. Well, say so one of the things is we had a policy in the house which was to make sure that nothing went into the recycling until I'd taken it apart first and seen what it was. <laughs> so there are all sorts of things from mainly actually a lot of the tubing and fittings actually came from soap dispensers. If you actually pull one of those things apart, there's springs, there's little tiny nozzles and all sorts of stuff. So from the ends of gun barrels to uh, uh, sniper scopes and everything like that kind of thing, you can kind of build quite a lot this carbine here that I've built is made out of uh, layers of MDF to make the gun shape uh, PVC piping from B&Q and the rest of it is uh, all sort of found parts and everything all built up and sprayed and uh, layered and weathered and, and stuff and I say the nice thing is that uh, with the Mercs the uh, on the on the site there are a lot of experienced folks and a lot of tutorials so it is that kind of thing of if you sign up there and you want to look you know kind of like our Mandalorian we can kind of now teach you and in fact actually what's happened as a result of going and meeting everybody uh, at Star Wars Celebration, participating in all of the Mercs events and everything like that. They've made me a costume advisor, which is kind of cool. And so I get to help out with new people coming in to build up their kits. I've been doing a, 
quite a few uh, bits and pieces of troops in the past year. We did Legoland. They raised uh, about £15,000 for a children's hospice uh, with uh, all the customers and then uh, Feel the Force Day today, which is our first uh, experience of this. Now, you say that uh, Celebration was your first mm. event. That, that is one hell of a, an event to start <laughs> off with. Well, we say, uh, I think I've been to a Star Trek event in 1984 with one of my friends from Polytechnic, but it was really just an excuse to go up to Liverpool and get drunk. And then uh, my job is making video games, and I've been to big video game conventions and everything, but always professionally. I've never actually been to one, uh, you know, as a civilian or whatever. And the Star Wars convention is like, actually, let's go all go in. And it, it, yeah, it just turned into this huge, wonderful three-day extravaganza where we uh, got yeah, to do all I sorts th- of I cool stuff. I think the thing that surprised us was the camaraderie between fellow costumers and the mm. fact that we'd met all these people online through the forums and to actually go out there and meet them in person you've got this whole family of people that really just are very accepting of whoever you are yes. um, and whatever your abilities are and just welcome you in and it's a great forum for everybody just to yeah. get involved and feel part of something. The idea with Amanda Merck's costume is that uh, Tom who uh, Hutchins who started it up originally he went to a convention saw people that were in Boba Fett inspired armour and thought I'd like to do this and so what then happened was over the years they've kind of refined a set of costume requirements which are you know you've got to have this kind of helmet but within a certain parameters the armour has to be of these sorts of styles or two uh, two belt you know kind of things around your waist or whatever but there's an awful lot of leeway so as a way into Star Wars costume and everything like that kind of thing it is it's an easier route you're not having to rely on quite so many specialised skills and then of course the great thing is that you can tailor whatever you, you want to your personality and your style so uh, that's really really cool and the added bonus to that is it's going back to the industrial light and magic old school way of doing things absolutely well I, I was obsessed with this stuff when I was going to, I was fortunate enough to see Star Wars when I was 11 and I grew up the first thing I did once I came out of that was take all of my aeroplane kits take balsa wood and plastic card and a kind of kit bash to make my own spaceships I was always fascinated by that kind of stuff so years later the internet comes around with this wealth of knowledge I can now order things like fiberglass and resin and PVC I've got friends who've, uh, who've, who've done these kind of things and all of a sudden yeah you're scouring through uh, switches and bits and pieces and, and actually creating a costume that is inspired by that so it is it's really fun to get an insight into how this kind of stuff gets made and to uh, uh, get around and show it off as well and it does give you an appreciation for what these filmmakers actually do achieve mm. especially when you go back and you look back at some at the early Star Wars original Star Wars yes. and you see how they cobble together a lot of their yeah. props and their costumes you know by using things that we have we've used to make ours so it's yeah. it's kind of true to the essence of what it's all about absolutely well guys thanks for talking with us my pleasure and uh May the force be with you. Absolutely. And you. Thank you. Jane actually is part of a podcast herself. Uh, it's a Disney-based podcast called the Disney Dream Girls. As you can probably tell, they go to Disney parks quite a lot. More power to them. But yeah, they were great fun to talk to. I think you would have fun talking with Simon. <laughs> Sounds like it. I'd love Judging. to build a Mandalorian outfit too, but you know. I was thinking more along his video game development well you know <laughs> maybe 
<laughs> but yeah, I am in touch with them still um, on Facebook now, and they've been sending me messages and things. So it's really good to talk with them, and I guarantee that we'll probably meet up again at some Star Wars event. <laughs> I think they're interested in going to the big Field of Force Day in Peterborough. So hopefully they'll be able to come along and meet up with them again. <sighs> Someday I'll get over there. I'm feeling a little intimidated, to be honest with you, because I seem to have gone back to Jurassic times. There's a large dinosaur here. I've stroked, I stroked the lizard earlier, and he was very, very amenable to, to being touched, but he, he did decide to fart on me as well. Um, I'm here with his, uh, his keepers, and uh, the people that look after him and make it... Oh, yeah, he's definitely awake. I'm going to be very careful what I say. Um... People, guys, tell me, who are you and why are you here today? Yeah, we're uh, Meet Pete, Meet Pete Dinosaur Hire, and we're here basically to entertain the guests for Field of Force. Pete's quite uh, tactile, so uh, the guys thought he'd be quite good to have here for, for the guests, so he's, uh, he's wandering around scaring the daylights out of everybody, really. <laughs> Which we enjoy doing. <laughs> He's definitely uh, been a star attraction. It's fantastic. Every time he, he goes through, you're drawing people in, aren't you? Um, where do you do this? We're up and down the UK. So, I mean, we're actually based in Kent. So, it's right. quite a trek for us today. But we, we're up and down the UK all the time with him. So, you know, it doesn't really matter where, where the events are. Um, we can be there. So, uh, yeah, it's good. And what's been the, the special highlight for you today? <laughs> I would say the look on the kids' faces. Yes. Mm. Yeah, I mean, when they're not expecting it. Creeping up behind you. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we do quite like creeping up behind people. We've done that quite a few times, <laughs> haven't we? They're raw. Yeah. Is it, is it normal for people to approach and, and stroke the dinosaur, touch the dinosaur and just want to be in contact? Is that, yeah. is that a normal thing? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of what we promote anyway. And Laura's great at that because she's great with the kids. Mm-hmm. So we never go out on our own. Laura's always there. And if the kids are a little bit scared, then Laura goes out of her way to make them feel right. a little bit more at ease. But how at ease can you feel? <laughs> And how have you found it today, moving around the hall and interacting with the kids? How's that been for you, Laura? Yeah, it's good. Um, Colin, they love uh, meeting Pete, so and they like to give him a stroke on the nose. Yeah, yeah. It's nice and soft little nose. Laura's great at tail duty, because that tail swings around a bit, doesn't it? <laughs> it does, it can be a little unmanageable, I imagine. <laughs> um, now, it's not just an outfit is it it's not just a model no no it's animatronic so whilst there's somebody inside it usually myself unfortunately getting very sweaty um, there are uh, a number of controls inside it so you know it's it's all brakes and cables and that kind of thing quite uh, mechanical mm-hmm. but there's a lot of con- it's like rubbing your tummy and stroking your head at the same <laughs> time you know you've got to blink the eyes open the mouth um, roll smoke early yeah yeah he, he's got like it's like a fond- pond fogger so that's quite useful for events that are indoors because we don't let all the smoke alarms off. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it, and the eyes light up as well, which looks great when he's blinking, so it accentuates the blink. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of little things like that inside and moving the head around and what have you as well. So it is pretty full on. 
<laughs> it must be very rewarding as well oh, at an yeah. event like this. Absolutely, yeah, especially at an event like this. I mean, we do, like I say, we're up and down all the time for the UK doing events, but some of them, we do, we do do quite a bit of charity work as well. So whilst it's how we earn our living, mm-hmm. um, we do make sure that we try to put a little bit back in as well by um, doing charity work wherever we can. Um, but it is very rewarding. I can, I can think of about a million worse ways to make a living. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, the way that we got into it was I, I was a design director for a big company uh, in packaging and design. So we were doing a lot of work in all of the UK retailers. Um, but the, the pressure was massive. You know, it was mm. really intense. So I never saw my son and what Laura, my wife, uh, I was always at work and I just decided to pack it in one day quite right it was quite a, it was a tough decision wasn't it and uh, we bought Pete <laughs> and since then we've never looked back I mean we've got Flame the Dragon as well so he's another big dragon with a three metre wingspan he's, he blows smoke <laughs> <laughs> and we've got like lots of baby dinos we've got like a dino crash and Laura's fantastic with the sewing machine she makes the dino tails Whee. and um, <laughs> we make the fossils and, and so it's yeah it's, it's been full on hasn't it we haven't stopped has paleontology been a sort of secret uh, passion I don't know about while you were right. designing for a big company you were actually thinking yeah 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 dinosaurs. Oh, a dinosaur. you, you can't go wrong though can you with dinosaurs I've always as a kid I loved dinosaurs and then to be able to you know do this as a business it's just a dream come true really it's fantastic it is hard work but and it's quite physical but it's well worth it. it's off that treadmill as well isn't it absolutely yeah you, and you get to spend time with each other I don't know if Laura would agree that's a good thing but I do <laughs> <laughs> she quits every day don't you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I, I, just from what I've seen as a, as a bystander, what you're doing here today has been brilliant. Okay, it's the way you make your living, but yeah. I think I think as people, yeah, yeah, you do meet some absolutely amazing people. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the big pluses, definitely. Like I say, it is hard work, and we get by and we make a living, but we don't make anything like the money that I was on before when I was in the big job. But are you happy? Yeah, absolutely. There yeah. you go. Then. Yeah, yeah, it, it's uh, <laughs> it's worth doing. Yeah. Um, but the, we've met so many amazing people at comic conventions and we do fun days and uh, birthday parties, anything really like that. But uh, we have met some absolutely amazing people and that's what it's all about. So you're going to pay the bills next month. Yeah. How are people going to help you pay the bills? <laughs> uh, get looking on our website, meetpetedinosaurhire.co.uk and we're on Facebook as well, Meet Pete Dinosaur, uh, and get booking. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you very much to you both. You're more than welcome. Thanks for taking the time. That's meet-pete-dinosaur-hire.co.uk. Absolutely. Pete is pretty amazing uh, when you see him up close. Very realistic-looking T-Rex. And as Alan, they need a URL shortener, though. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a, a long <laughs> URL, but kids really do love it it blows smoke out of its nose it farts it um everything kids they are love. neat i'm looking at the pictures right now that is cool <laughs> the detail on the skin is really neat yeah you wouldn't realize there's somebody in it the, the sound effects are awesome it's it, really worth having that at an event oh there's a picture on their website of some little small ankle biter dog just touching nose to nose with one of the dinosaurs. We it had, is so cute. We had this little um, sausage dog at, at the event, and 
and Pete came along and the dog started barking at it and Pete did a growl and the dog hid under a chair <laughs> and uh, Pete went away and uh, I don't know if I showed you it from Phil the Force Day last year there was a lot of people dressed as cats anyway the, the cats were at this event as well and the dog saw the cats <laughs> and went berserk <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, he must be so hot in that thing. Uh, that was a very hot weekend as well, so yeah, I can imagine so. He's also, as he said, got these little dinosaurs which you they're like hand puppets, mm-hmm. and he sort of he dresses up in a safari suit and goes around, and and the kids can see this little little dinosaur that he's holding in his arms, Shit. and uh, it's got a big tail that sort of hangs down really really good the, the two See, of them the, together yeah the tinkerer and me would love to get inside there just to take a look at how he has that rigged up I would want to see the mechanisms for the eyes yeah. and things. Yeah, it sounds kind of complicated. <laughs> uh, yeah, it does. <laughs> uh, that's what it's all about, though. It's finding ways of getting these things to work. I mean, a friend of mine, Gary, he has uh, is, is been spending the last few weeks making his uh, new Predator outfit, uh, which looks absolutely amazing. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Hopefully, he's going to be at Peterborough. Um, this guy I've known since I was at high school. <laughs> so <laughs> he's actually part of a costuming group. He's part of the UK Predators. I think this is his third or fourth Comic Con now. But he was absolutely dreading his first one, and he said he had the most brilliant time ever. Mm-hmm. And met such such amazing people going to different Comic Cons. He's going to the big one in London at the end of the month. I know that. Last weekend, he was preparing his dreads to, to, to go in the <laughs> back of it. So, these massive great big piping, silicon pipes that he was making. And um, he's loving it. The, the actual creation of the costumes. Um, I imagine his wife's loving it as well because he's always down the shed. But um, <laughs> it's something great about him being involved with these conventions. Not just Field of Force Day, but Field of Force Day, as you know, close to my heart. The people involved with the costuming groups call it trooping. Um, and they regard themselves as a troop. as a, It's almost like a military squad. And it gets to a point, and I'm starting to get it now, uh, with certain costuming groups I'm now beginning to work out people's mannerisms so I can actually tell who it is when they've still got the helmets on and things nice <laughs> I'm thinking I go to too many of these things now <laughs> that I can actually work out who it is underneath the you can never have too many <laughs> come on I've been to Paxi six seven times yeah but I wouldn't be mean now if it, if it wasn't for these kind of events Right, I'm back at Field of Force Day, West Midlands, and I'm with Matthew Dale. How are you doing, sir? Hello, I'm all right. A great day, nice and warm. Um, not too busy, but it's it's been busy. It's not too bad for a first event, is it? No, not too bad. No, it's really good. There's got great um, signers, great stalls, great food. <laughs> what would uh, our listeners know you from? Um, originally from Doctor Who, as the first little jump in Robles of Sherwood. It was Series 8, Episode 3, Robles of Sherwood. And recently now, as a Red Jedi priest in Star Wars Rogue One. Wow, so, oh, you were one of those. Oh, fantastic. There was only ever two of us, um, but I'm the only person credited in the film as a Red Jedi priest. So that's quite an honour. 
<laughs> so, do you have your own action figure? Not yet. They are making one, but I do have my own trading card. Wow. Yes, and I did actually bring a trading card with me, so I'll show you a bit later on, um, which is quite cool. But it's imported from America, so the only cards of the um, Red Pilgrim Priest you can only get from America. That Yes, there are some in the UK, but they would have been imported over, so... That's, that's brilliant. So once you, you've, you've got a trading card, you're going to get a figure soon, now you know you've made it. Yeah, I'm in a colouring book. I'm in a Star Wars colouring book and Doctor Who colouring book as well. So we're getting there. That is absolutely amazing. Um, I, I just love it when people get their own action figures because it's just... I don't know, you're, you're part of the folklore now. You're, you're, in, you're embossed in history. I know, yeah. Hopefully, obviously, well, I'm, um, I'm getting a pop uh, figure made of me for my character in Doctor Who, but I'm wanting to have a Star Wars one done as well, so there's, there's time. So That's brilliant. Yeah. So, what's next for you? Um, well, I've got, um, I'm hoping to appear on the last leg next Friday evening, um, Channel 4, 10 o'clock, um, and I've got loads of conventions lined up as well, so including a couple of international ones as well so I was uh, I'm glad I got to speak to you now because I was hoping to get to speak to you at last year's uh, Peterborough uh, event oh yeah I'm going to be at Peterborough again this year as well so uh, yeah it's like fun excellent so you you really do do the rounds yes definitely <laughs> and you're enjoying that yeah I love it every minute of it yeah it's quite a feeling going around at some of these events even from my side of dealing with it and uh I don't know if you feel the same, but there is something special about Field of Force Day. Yeah, I always find that these are really good events because it brings it brings the community together, um, and it's really popular. And um, hopefully, it will just get bigger and bigger and increase with more and more. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. Thank you, right? And um, hope to see you again soon. Yes, definitely. Thank you. Thank you. He did show me the trading card. It's a prop tops trading card. And I don't know if you remember the character in Rogue One, the the Jedi priests. The, they were in the big red outfits. Mm-hmm. Alan was in the military for many years, and he was in the RAF. He was military police for the RAF, and he was out in the Middle East, uh, along with other places that he's been to. And there was a, a charity at Field of Force Day, West Midlands, that he felt that he should go and speak to and uh, this is all about them tell us about troop aid and uh, and what we can expect from this charity yeah thanks for the opportunity uh, troop aid was formed around around 10 years ago uh, by a group of ex-servicemen down at solly in the west midlands um, what it was was they uh, were having a drink in the uh, legion uh, and they saw the guys on the television coming back from afghan and iraq um, literally in blankets um, they had none of their personal items whatsoever because some of the guys had been injured severely and some of the guys obviously not quite as severely anyway what they decided to do was go to the um, Orville Trust and get some chocolate and uh, walk down to the, the, at the time the Celio Hospital and uh, dumped and get, gave that chocolate in and on the way out one of our uh, founder members a gentleman called Al Sutton he uh, asked the question to the Defence Medical Welfare Service guys on site and said what can we do and at that moment True Paid was born it started off with donations so um, shower gel um, toiletries were donated by the, the public and eventually we've now got to the point where we can actually create our own grab bag which includes everything that you would necessarily need for 45 or 48 hours away 
Um, so everything from shoes, um, flip-flops, socks, um, underwear, toiletries, t-shirts, all of this gets given to the guys and girls at the point of where they are injured. So right now we have bags all over the world, Canada, Kenya, um, the Middle East, Cyprus, you name it, wherever the British military is serving and have a field hospital or any kind of medical facilities, we supply pallets of these bags out into the real world and the guys get them as they when they need them the most. Because it all stems from the fact that the idea is, is guys out in operations get injured, especially with things like IEDs, the improvised explosive devices. A lot of the um, heavy inventory, the armoured guys, they have their kit strapped to the outside of the vehicle because the inside of the vehicle isn't big enough to carry all their kit. So the first thing that goes is all their personal items. Now one of my particular favourites is actually Brave the Bear, this little man here. Now Brave the Bear actually comes out of um, a need. Everything that we do with the True Paid is, everything we do with True Paid is, is developed from our beneficiaries, the guys that receive our bags. Brave the Bear actually comes from a guy who was in, injured one of these IED attacks in Iraq and his bear, his bear that he'd had since he was a child was, was, was destroyed by an IED strike because it was still in his Bergen outside the uh, vehicle. When he got back to the UK, um, he asked any chance of a bear. Um, one, of our, our, one of our factors went out and bought a bear and they said, well, we need to name this bear. Then. So obviously every bear has a name. Um, one of our other injured guys, a guy um, called Jim, who'd um, had a serious brain injury um, when a, um, a rocket attack hit him in uh, Iraq when he was asleep and it actually landed, the rocket landed in his locker next to his bed space. Um, they, uh, he was severely injured, he's fine now to a point. Anyway, he decided that he had to call Brave the bear Brave because everybody who got one was brave. So now every single serviceman or woman who gets injured um, receives a Brave the bear at the same time as well. I mean, as I mentioned to you um, before we start the interview, I'm an ex-serviceman myself. Why haven't I heard of TruePaid? That's a very, very good question. Um, we're a very small charity with a very big reach. Um, we'd love to spread the word around more. We are online. Uh, we have an online presence. We are truepaid.co.uk in the UK or trip.info if you can find that online. Uh, we have our own Twitter feed. Brave the Bear, the full-size version. Uh, we have a six-foot bear. Uh, he has his own Twitter feed as well, uh, which we're trying to get up online or uh, get, get up uh, as, as we speak. Uh, but yeah, we're a very small um, group of people. There is no full-time members of staff paid. Um, um, uh, as we speak, um, we're based in Solihull. Um, please, if we can get the word out, that'd be great. And any advice and help we can do that would be greatly appreciated. It's practical. That's what I like about it. You, you, you're putting you're putting physical stuff in bags and sending it to people. You don't need money. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that's the key. I think that's the big key is the fact that we're reactionary to the needs of our guys and girls. Every single item that is in the grab bag is there for a reason. Um, it's to give back dignity, to be fair. That is the big rule, that is, that is the big goal, uh, is the dignity part of it. Because it's the things that you and I, uh, and even when we're in the military, we provide for ourselves, our underwear, our toiletries. The MOD doesn't give us that, they pay us so that we can have that. But when that gets taken, 
taken away from you instantaneously we fill that void and that's all we're there to do we're not there to replace anything we're there to just give that little bit of reassurance um, moving on from the uh, initial impact and obviously that 48 hours worth of kit we also we also have bags that we get the guys uh, uh, actually at hospital. We're embedded in uh, Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Birmingham on the military ward. Uh, we provide um, tracksuit bottoms, hoodies, um, gloves for the guys in wheelchairs to make sure they don't get blisters and things like that. Um, and all of this has all very much been developed by the beneficiaries, by the guys and girls that are injured. We also provide a uh, welfare facility in the ward, um, which is a little team basically. So we have a, a um, teas, coffees, potassium machines, so the nice stuff, uh, the stuff that makes you feel at home, so the guys don't have to get in their chairs and go all the way downstairs to the um, sort of the break area, if you like, and it's private, and it's there for both the guys that are injured or not severely injured as some, but also the families of the guys that are severely injured, the guys that are normally out, out cold, um, and it also helps the uh, padres, it helps the uh, welfare guys in there to assist the families, and we've seen it ourselves, how much that's welcome, just a, just a cold can of Coke, it's little things that make it feel normal. So it's not, you know, it's not a little plastic orange juice. You, you know, it's not that. It's not. It doesn't feel like a hospital. That's mm-hmm. the point. It's trying to get the guys to feel normal again. That's that's like I said, that's wonderful. I'm amazed. It's and I can't understand why there isn't more of this. Are there more other other groups like you around the country? We're the only group in the country uh, that does this um, specific thing. And I think because we are so narrow focused of what we provide, uh, that's why we're so special I would say all military charities have a role to play I think it's getting more harder and harder in the current economic climate um, to keep things going as it was um, thankfully Touchwood we don't seem to have the same amount of guys coming back um, in the media that we did have before it doesn't mean that people aren't getting injured uh, our role has now changed from a direct uh, battlefield issues IED shootings bombs bullets guns things it's now how many times can you roll a Land Rover in Kenya how many times can you, you know, put a tank into a ditch uh, at Suffield in Canada mm-hmm. it's now exercises, people are still hurting themselves, preparing themselves to help us um, I think we need to remember that is, is even before um, Afghanistan and Iraq um, the military were in preparation, we still are today uh, you've only got to see that uh, this past few weeks, the guys out in London, down in London um, went from preparing for Troop in the Colour to Op Tempura was called and they were stood next to the armed police on guard with weapons going live that was in cool that was obviously then brought back down again the guys went back to um, square bashing ready to be parade ready for parade very much the queen last weekend everybody does a different job but every job is the same in terms of we're providing protection and assurance to the public and we're still getting injured it's not like we're um, people aren't getting hurt in this when you prepare as you remember probably yourself you, you prepare for the real thing by doing it for real Cyprus and, yeah absolutely Cyprus you've got um, the guys unfortunately we have the other week the two lads uh, sadly they passed away with the tank in the tank corps uh, the Royal Tank Regiment um, these accidents happen um, and I think I think where we step in is that that little that little sort of, I would say gap it's too strong a word but that little area there where we can assist between the Ministry of Defence and the people I think because every most people in 
this country quietly want to support our military and we can provide a tangible way of doing that um, and a very specific way you know we can tell you exactly where our ground bags have gone we can show you people we can meet, we can introduce you to people our, some of our ambassadors who have received our ground bags uh, but one of my favourites uh, favourite stories is a really good friend of mine now a guy called Clive Smith who was one of our ambassadors uh, Clive lost both legs in Afghanistan and um, he was helped by Troop Aid and Health Heroes and other charities uh, very significantly um, he comes out and does briefs and chats to people for us now uh, took him to Cosford a few months ago and he came out in his wheelchair because at the time he was um, still in uh, prosthetics he subsequently got on to actually have um, prosthesis is made where they actually lock into his legs now he's done, some, he's done really well but before then he was really impressed with the grab bag when he got it but he wasn't so sure why we gave him flip-flops and socks. Because <laughs> <laughs> we just give everybody the same thing. Yeah. So whether or not we need to start looking at being removing that, I don't know. But it, it, all, all joking aside, the beneficiaries are our life and so It's what we're there to do. We're there to give the dignity back to our boys and girls who have um, suffered so much on our behalf. Amazing. Thank you very Thank much you for your time. Absolutely. Absolute pleasure. Cheers. Cheers. It is very important to get involved with organisations that help the military when they're in need. I mean, they're there to protect us. They do get injured. And Troop Aid and other organisations that are there all around the world for military services, you need to support them. I can't disagree with anything you said. We're coming to the last two interviews now, and uh, the next one I think you will recognise. <laughs> so here I am once again at Field of Force Day West Midlands, and I am with Simon and JJ from Field of Force Day. How are you doing, fellas? Very well, thank you. Very good, very <laughs> yeah, good. Really good. Trying not to talk over your intro. <laughs> now, the last time we spoke, you guys were in the garden and then you weren't in the garden oh, we were at first it was bloody freezing <laughs> and then things kept falling down and stuff uh, so we uh, ended up inside surrounded by the big red box we did it's not red anymore though is it it's absolutely fantastic operational I like it you like, you like it you I do it. I really do like it it's taken me months to get that to where it is now and the joy of it is because the covers are detachable we can get a new sort of system for the outside at every event so we can knock out you know one for Peterborough that looks like the flyers and the posters we can have one for next year's West Midlands that looks like their theme whatever it is so hopefully we can keep it fresh all the time then. and uh, I sent a, a photograph of it to my co-host back in America and uh, I said look who's on the side and it was little Emily on the, on, on yeah, the side right, yeah, yeah. and he was like oh yeah, Dan, so. Dan spotted that one on Facebook the other day. <laughs> so I had to get some um, some really high resolution images because it's because it's blown up so large. It's really difficult to get a photo that's that's high enough res that it will fit in there. And then once you've got that photo, trying to layer it up on Photoshop or InDesign to try and make that work is, it takes up so much capacity on your computer. My computer died on two occasions trying to do it. So it was go to a couple of photographers that we know who've been at the events to see if they'll donate. Um, photos to us and Emily was in there so she made the cut excellent so the West Midlands event how do you think it's been going today you guys um 
yes, I think it's been good. I had to think then because I think the secret for us is not to compare it with our other events because each one is so individual. And at the end of the day, if three people come and they get something out of it, then in my eyes it was worth doing. Just for the record, there, there are more than three people here. It has been very busy today. Yeah. It's just a smaller event than Peter Rock so it's, it's a really good start. As far as first events in an area goes, it's on yeah. par with Plymouth, I think. Certainly yeah. superior to our first event, definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I've, I've been hearing that there's going to be another event next year, um, and I've heard that it's going to be at a bigger venue. Do you mean another West Midlands one or another? Yes, yes there might be another venue in the offing. We might be having conversations about this and it might be absolutely massive. Um, we shall see how it goes. <laughs> one day at a time. One day at a time. Or more importantly, one pound at a time. Yes. Yeah. That's the main thing. That is the main thing. And I think it's been really wonderful today. Actually, it's... It's a much more intimate event than... Um, yeah, these than are, and also, what I like about them is that no one knows who we are. So we're sort of undercover bosses here. You're right, because you don't have a T-shirt that says Head Honcho on the back. Yeah, well, I didn't bring my Phil the Force Day T-shirt purely because I want to go around and spot the moments that make it for me without anyone really knowing who I am. That is a nice luxury I couldn't afford because <laughs> nobody would show me their tickets because I didn't know who I was because <laughs> I didn't have a Phil the Force Day T-shirt on. So it took a lot of faffing around at the beginning. So I can do that here where I can't do that at Peterborough, where I can't, you know, step five paces about somebody stopping me but here nobody knows who I am so I can go around and see what's right see what's wrong and watch people hopefully which I have been having a good time yeah, I think I think everyone's had a good time I think um, it's been busy I think we are I'm not sure on what numbers are because we haven't used the clicker oh thank you very much um, we haven't used the clicker so I reckon we're talking about 300 400 maybe today would you reckon yeah, that's reasonable it's been it's been a steady flow all day all day long and I know that um, Matt Dale was saying that celebrities wise they've done okay they've done alright for an event of this size so I mean, the thing is it's a, it's a nice quite intimate event so I mean, where we're sat now we are out of the way but also we're on the front desk where people would buy the tickets so it's just it's nice isn't it? I was just going to say that works in lots of ways for us and for the guys because it's it's not too busy which is good for the guys and it's you know there's room people can get about and it's a steady flow so it's not too much all at once yeah, I think, and I think that's right I think it's um, yeah there, there is a lot of diverse stuff here there's you know there's everything we can think of so we've got our box that we've already mentioned in the same room we've got a thumping great big TARDIS that you can go and have your photo taken in and things like that and there's an auction going on in there at the minute and there's loads of different stall holders and if there was any more stuff here it would be too full and no one would be able to get around but by virtue of the fact that there is a nice set of things and people it works nicely I think. she's done a really good job of laying this out and getting as much in as she can without making it too crowded yeah she has done a very good job I think Sarah has really thought about what she wanted to do with this event and she's been building and planning and all kinds of things along the way uh, it is as you say a different event to the other yeah. ones but as you also said uh, 
every event is going to be different mm. and I think that is going to be the same across the board at any yeah. Field of Force Day event. I think um, every local team puts their own personality on an event so Plymouth was slightly different to this. Yeah. Plymouth was probably a bit more whimsical wasn't it? a bit more playful in the way that they laid it out um, there were certainly fewer stalls at Plymouth and it was a, there was a but huge was, amount of disabled people and, yeah there was a, a, a huge number of disabled people like disproportionately high number compared yes. to all our other events including Peterborough um, so it was I think they've done really well down there in engaging with local disability groups and community yeah. groups which is a really difficult thing to do anyway because as I've said before on previous interviews it's really political often and you struggle if you're trying to bring something new for people to go oh yeah well I'm just not going to bother with that or yes I'm going to do that in fact if I'm completely honest when a certain fat man not too far away from me started talking about something called Feel the Force Day and kept spamming me about it I blocked him on Facebook that was before I had anything to do with it so getting anyone including me involved in something like this is potentially a bit of a struggle did you saw that guy out yeah, I killed him in the end. Oh, expert. He's uh, buried somewhere in the woods. Nice. <laughs> I kept his head as a trophy. Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be able to broadcast that bit, are you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. So, yeah, it's everyone is different, but everyone's got a certain charm about it. Yeah, they've all... You know, it's, it's all about the organiser's personality. And the organisers... So this is very cleverly laid out, very organised. And that, that's Sarah. She's a clever woman. She's very organised. She's done really well to get to this point. And the event is, you know, it shows that, that she's worked hard on this. Um, you know, Peterborough, people don't really realise it maybe, but we basically have absolutely no idea what we're doing. You know, really, we're just here by luck. I say this to Simon in our frequent chats, that every other Feel the Force Day that's been done and organised is far, far more organised and better than ours. Yeah, definitely. We have, we have organisation, but it's not... Great. <laughs> no, because we both do other things and yeah, we both don't we have both, a lot of time. Concentrate. So it's, you know, we are... Whereas this is plotted out and mapped out and drawn out and we sort of... But seriously, people... I'm still planning events like the morning of when people turn up. People are coming through the door and I'm still setting stuff up. When people ask what costumes are coming, we don't know to the day. No. So, you know, you so can... We, can't, we never... No. <laughs> we just kind of guess most of the time. <laughs> then it all sort of falls into place. So... You know, there's only so much you can do yeah. when people are coming for nothing and giving their time for nothing and you know you can't fuss who you have who you don't have or we don't want him we don't want to you know if they're coming and doing it for you then you just say yeah that's fab thank you very much and then whoever turns up turns up yeah that's it basically we work on favours don't we yeah gifts and favours all the way through pretty much sums up what's been happening today to be honest Sarah's doing us a favour well guys it's been fantastic talking with you again thank you very thank much thank you it's been lovely it's been great to have you and I'm so pleased you made the journey over here from, um, from the other side of the world basically yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a long way isn't it do you know that some of the um, guys in their cat costumes have driven six hours to be here today oh, really? event. yeah wow six hours just to come up and be part of this so the, we have to say thank you to everybody that's involved because without them we are absolutely nothing and um, you know, otherwise it's just a couple of 
fat bloke and a not quite so fat bloke sitting here in a room with not quite so fat but the same weight yeah that's true actually he's probably lighter than me now <laughs> we, we weighed each other the other day as a joke and we were exactly the same weight I mean I am a foot and a half taller than him but we were exactly the same weight yeah but that, that's the thing is you've got somewhere for it to go yeah, yeah. my arse and my belly by the looks of it you swore again oh, I wouldn't count. get away with that <laughs> did he just admit to a crime on our show um, uh, he was talking about JJ actually <laughs> <laughs> so JJ was a force ghost I feel the force ghost <laughs> talking about JJ um, I didn't recognize him at first when he turned up to the event as I've mentioned to you many times he always has different costumes that he wears he turned up as a crossover character between Walter White from Breaking Bad and Snow White. Okay. So he had the the Walter White hat with the goatee beard and the you know all that kind of stuff in a Snow White dress. <laughs> it was very bizarre. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But it got people going, who's that guy? That was the reaction that he wanted. Have you seen one that's been going around on social media lately? Of uh, There's a woman who does cosplay, and she's going around as Edgar Allan Poe Dameron. Oh, that sounds so amazing. It, it's Poe's outfit, but she's got her hair, she's got a mustache, her, you know, ashen face and so forth, to look like Edgar Allan Poe. I was just imagining Poe's outfit in velvet. <laughs> kind of like a smoke, smoking jacket. I also got a little, like, a, I think a BB-8 acting as the raven on her shoulder. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> did you hear the dog barking every now and then? I did. Yeah. What was that? That was the little sausage dog that I was telling you about that kept barking at the cats and the dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> just sat there yapping away at... Uh, anything that didn't look remotely like it should be there, which was a lot of things. Nice. So once again, I'm at Field of Force Day West Midlands. I'm with the organiser, Sarah Parker. How are you doing, Sarah? Absolutely shattered, but I think it's been worth it. <laughs> so that basically says it all, really. Uh, how, how was it for you today? All in all, it has gone really, really well for our first event. Yeah, I'm really pleased with how it's gone. I couldn't be happier. It has been uh, a really amazing day, and it's a, a more intimate event than uh, Peterborough, and I think that just adds to the, the yeah. feel of the whole day. Yeah, really has done. Um, with it being a, a, a much smaller, more enclosed event, with the more limited numbers as well, ticket-wise, it's made it a more personal event for people. The guests included, I think, I think they've had a well of a time this weekend. Um, it's just, just been blown me away how many people have turned up, to be fair. Um, I, re I really have been surprised. So, yeah, I couldn't have been happier. <laughs> it's It has been really good, and it's the, the, the atmosphere that I've experienced today. Uh, a couple of kids that I've spoken to, he didn't need to speak to them, really. It was just a look no. on their face as they left. It was... Yeah, they just always seem to be happy. Yeah, everywhere I've looked, has just been happy kids and happy, ha happy parents. I couldn't be more pleased. Yeah. And I understand you're crazy enough to be organising one for next year as well. 
I'm contemplating it, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're, we're talking um, venues at the moment, so yeah. Um. That's going to be excellent because it can only grow. Yes, yeah. We expect next year's will be much bigger. Awesome. Well, thanks for talking with us, Sarah. Yeah, no problem. Happy to. <laughs> Sarah has been on the show before. Well, I met her at Field of Force Day 2015. She's also the founder of iCosplay, you know, the anti-bullying mm-hmm. campaign for cosplayers. She actually founded that as well. Back in 2015, we actually made her one of the honorary crew members because I thought it was justifiable considering all the work she does for charity and running that. And now she's doing Field of Force Day events as well. Um, I don't know where she gets all the time to do it, to be honest. We, we wanted to to do her proud and uh, talk to as many people as possible, which is why I had Alan along as well, so that he could capture the other side of things. And I think between us, I think we managed to get everything, which was fantastic. Now, what I will say is that uh, there is a local newspaper uh, article about the Field of Force Day of West Midlands, which I'll put in the show notes. And according to the the article, um, there was about 400 people that turned up to the event, which for their first event is pretty good going. You know, she pulled out all the stops to, to advertise the event and and get the word out there. So it it paid off. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, next year hopefully going to be a bigger event. She actually said to me um, that the event had actually outgrown the venue before the doors opened. There's <laughs> so much to, to put out there for it that uh, the venue was a little bit small. Let's see what happens next year for their event when it gets a little bit bigger. Yeah. I'd be interesting to see what, what uh, Kirby Nakano will be like in a few years. Yeah. I'm just hoping that, as I said before, that if Diane and the two guys from Field of Force Day can join forces and make something big that way, it'll be amazing. Because I I think that both sides of the pond can benefit from each other on this. Mm Mm-hmm. Spanhead Productions are a small independent sound recording company based in rural Hertfordshire. We specialise in creating content for all your podcasting needs, whether it be field recordings, fox pops, or capturing the atmosphere during social events. Editing is a very time-consuming job, so Spanhead Productions are on hand to take away some of the burden for you. Just advise us on how you'd like your content to sound, and we will do the rest. We can even help you design and manage a website for your podcast too. Visit us now, spanheadproductions.com. Weebly.com. That's spamheadproductions.weebly.com. Right, I think we should start wrapping things up there. John, thanks for getting that interview for us from the Dairy Queen. No problem. I'm glad I brought my Zoom with me. <laughs> I never leave home without mine. Thanks to everyone that has been involved in. Uh, Field of Force Day West Midlands so all the celebrities all the cosplayers obviously Sarah and and Dan Parker Simon and JJ everybody who has been involved it was a fantastic day and thanks for inviting us along and hopefully you're going to invite us again in the future and again thanks to everyone out there for listening and we shall speak to you all again real soon Toodles! 
Well, that about wraps it up for this episode of TGP Nominal. Be sure to visit tgpnominal.weebly.com for the show notes for this or any other episode. Just look for the relevant tab on the menu. Let us know what you think of the show. Send an email to garbagepod at virginmedia.com because your input is our output. Or you can use the social media icons at the top of the page that include Twitter and Facebook. If you would like to subscribe to any of our podcasts, you can do so via iTunes, the RSS feed, and also Stitcher and TuneIn On Demand Radio. Don't forget to rate and review us. You can find links on all our podcast pages. If you like what we're doing here, then why not buy us a pint by clicking on the donate button on any of the podcast pages. And don't forget to spread the word about us. Station, this is Houston ACR. Thank you. That concludes the event. Hello, everybody, and welcome to... I've forgotten what I was going to say now. Wag, wag, oops. I know what I was going to say. I, I, had the first, I had the first bit lined up, and then it was like, uh, what do I say after that? <laughs> I've got one of those Hollywood clappers out in my other room. I can go get it for you. We can do a take two. <laughs> that is a great start. No, I'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs>